This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno, monitoring all of the developments out of Ukraine, including the fire that um, has broken out after an attack at this very large Ukrainian nuclear power plant. We're going to be monitoring that. We are going to be going live to Russia a little bit later in the show uh, to explore the uh, perspective of someone that's living there. We're going to talk with uh, an American expatriate that uh, is living in Russia. So stay tuned for that. But I'll tell you, the more I work in radio, the more I listen to radio, the more I realize that I don't know anything about radio because I spend a lot of time on this show. I spend a lot of time thinking about what we're going to do. I spend a lot of time thinking about the subjects that we're going to cover, the guests that I'm going to interview, what subjects I'm going to ask the guest about, how I'm going to present certain subjects. And I'll tell you, maybe it was about six or seven months ago when I think what happened was I had a guest cancel at the last minute. And then I said, all right, well, why don't we let people ask questions about anything they want? And then that was the birth of this hourly foray into listeners interrogating me about anything they want. And lo and behold, this has become the most popular segment of the entire week, something that was discovered completely by accident, much like champagne or penicillin. So often, the great things are discovered by accident, as is the case with The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. anything. Whatever you have questions about, now is the time to ask them at 800-848-WABC. Film, television, books, business, radio, the business of radio. Cocktails, advice, my personal history, pro wrestling, gambling, Atlantic City, local politics, national politics, restaurants, New York, the criminal justice system, aliens, the mob, hypothetical questions, my personal preferences, relationships, baseball, the culture at large, religion, or yes, foreign policy. Ask a question on any subject and I will do my best to answer it. Now, in order to sweeten the pot a little bit, whoever comes up with the best question at 800-848-9222... We will, um, our panel of Molly, Matt, and sometimes Alex will determine, and they're going to keep track of who's asking the questions this week, they're going to give whoever comes up with the best question a prize. It's probably going to be something from our WABC radio store, which is a great store, and uh, it's something that a lot of people enjoy. So uh, let me uh, do my best to answer your questions. Now, I always caution people and encourage people not to ask trivia questions. One, because I, I, where does the conversation go, right? So you ask a question, um, who was the only president to serve two non-consecutive terms? Okay, I know it. It's Grover, Grover Cleveland. All right, conversation over. I mean, ideally you want a question that's going to spur some thought, going to help people think about uh, conversationally, conversations they can have in their own lives, at the water cooler or the coffee machine, 
you know, something that's a pseudo mini talk topic. But I can't stop you. Ask questions about whatever you need to. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Eddie in Ocean County. Hello, Eddie. Hi, Frank. Uh, I had three quick questions. One, I, I want to know if you ever smoke regular cigarettes. I know you're into cigars. No, I've never never smoked a cigarette. Uh, number two, I want to know about uh, is the guy who calls in every almost every day at the 15 seconds of fame, and he just gets on the phone and starts shouting something about someone being a moron, and you just shut him off. What's the deal with that guy? Well, I, honestly, I have no idea. I, I mean, I assume he's doing it uh, – as sort of a lark, you know, like uh, the old the folks that used to call Howard Stern and say F Jackie or Baba Booey. I, I don't I don't know anything about that guy. I don't know who he is. I, I've met many people over the years that have claimed to be that guy. And uh, I think they're all pretty much lying. So I don't know anything about that guy. I don't know. Here, um, one more thing. You once mentioned that you hold a world record for the longest TV show? I did. Not anymore. I, I uh, once held the world record for longest live TV talk show marathon. I did a 33-hour talk show. Uh, a lot of guests that uh, that have been on the show occasionally have been were part of that show. Curtis was there when I actually broke the record. That was March 19th and March 20th of 2005. So that we're coming up on the 17th anniversary of it. Maybe as we get a little closer to March 19th or 20th, I'll uh, we'll do a little bit more of a retrospective and I'll try and see if I could find some clips of that show. When was that broken? It was broken almost immediately. I I think within within 2 or 3 months of my setting the record, it was broken. In fact, I think it was broken so quickly that I don't think there was ever an edition of the Guinness Book of World Records that has me in it. I was online for a while, but the record was broken so quickly after I broke it that I don't think I ever made it to a printed version of the book. But did they give you like a cool certificate? Or yeah, anything? yeah, I still have it. So I, I so got a couple. Of, I got a couple of printed actually. I, I uh, one I believe is still hanging on the wall of my mother's house, and one. Uh, I should put it up in my office, uh, in in my house somewhere. I got to fish it out of my mom's uh, basement. But yeah, they, they I got a couple of certificates, and uh, I, I I think I ordered. They they give you one, and then you can order a few more. I ordered a few more, and I gave out a couple to people that were very helpful in that effort. Because it, I'm going to talk about it when in two weeks. But it was a Herculean effort. I mean. This took really the a lot of commitment from everybody that I knew and a tremendous buy-in and a tremendous amount of time and money, quite frankly, uh, for, for from everybody that I knew. But it was a lot of fun. It was very challenging, and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I can imagine. It must be a great feeling to break a world record. Well, it's great on the one hand, but on the other hand, uh, I'll talk about this when we do our retrospective in two weeks. I was sunburned for a week because I'm baking under those TV lights. I also had laryngitis for a week, which was uh, which was very, 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 very tough. I was fine during the show, never lost my voice during the show, but uh, for a week or so after that, I couldn't speak. Great questions, though, Eddie. Thank you. 800-848-WABC, answering your questions on any subject. Gary is in Inwood. Hello, Gary. Good morning, Frank. Uh, with your knowledge of uh, organized crime and underworld figures and that sort of thing, if it was feasible and you could go back in time and interview just to pick the brain of a powerful organized figure Ooh. at that period in time, let's say from uh, Lucky Luciano, Maya Lansky, that period, 
If you could sit down and do an interview one-on-one and just listen and pick their brain, who would you go with? That's such a good question. So I think my answer to this question has changed in the last 24 hours, right? Uh, Maybe the last 48 hours. I never met uh, John Gotti Sr., John John, uh, J. Gotti, but his – All of his kids have told me so many stories about him, and I've read so much about him in terms of books, in terms of literature, that I always would have thought that my answer would have been John J. Gotti. One, because he seems, unlike a lot of other mob bosses, very willing to talk to the press. And two, because his children and his wife, his widow, have given me so much insight into him that I think I could do a really unique interview. That being said, when I was with Rudy Giuliani the other day, I spoke with Rudy for about a half hour, maybe 45 minutes about the mob. Rudy gave me such an education about Frank Costello. And I had read books about Frank Costello. I've done segments on Frank Costello. and um, uh, But after listening to Rudy, I think my answer might change to Frank Costello because he was he was hooked into with a lot of political stuff as well, as well as a lot of mob stuff. So I could ask him about a lot of New York stuff. I could ask him how many of Johnny Russo's stories about him are true. I could ask him political stuff. I think there's a, a, a so it's one of those two, either John Gotti or Frank Costello. My two cents before you leave me, mm-hmm. Maya Lansky. Well, that would I, I look. He's certainly an interesting guy. He tend he strikes me, and uh, obviously, uh, you know, I know his um, lawyer, former lawyer Oscar Goodman, very well. He strikes me as a guy that wouldn't give me much. That would be pretty tight-lipped and not let me sort of uh, behind the scenes of what was going on. But certainly, if I had the opportunity, I'd certainly talk to him. Thank you. Great question, Gary. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Pete is in Piscataway. It's that away. Hi, Frank. Uh, Frank, who are do you think are the three or four best Met catchers of all time? Oh, um, well, look, the the two that immediately come to mind are um, Mike Piazza and Gary Carter. Those are the two that 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 first immediately come to mind. Uh, after that, look, there are some people that would say it's Jerry Grody. Um, I I don't know. I don't know who I would pick after that. I, I loved Mackie Sasser. Uh obviously I loved uh, I loved Todd Hundley. He was one of my favorite players when he um you know when he was playing. Uh but uh I, I don't know. You know maybe Paul LaDuca actually. Uh, I'll say I, I'm going to say um I'll say Paul LaDuca as my number 3. As far as number 4 goes, oh, um uh, you know look Todd Hundley, even though he didn't have the kind of dominance that a lot of the other people that I just mentioned had, he set the record for most home runs in a single season by a catcher, broke Roy Campanella's record. Now, later on, we found out that Todd Hundley was probably using performance-enhancing drugs, but I was just such a fan of Todd Hundley. I thought he had a... Tremendous amount of grit and a, a tremendous amount of toughness. And he bailed out those Met teams out in the mid-90s at times when there were not a lot of bright spots for them. So those will be my those will be my four. I'll say Gary Carter, Mike Piazza. Those are definitely one and two. Then I'll say um, then I'll say uh, Paul LaDuca and Todd Hundley. 
I'll go Todd Huntley because he was a homegrown Met. That's the reason. I would it's go. true. It's true. Uh, again, uh, it's a it's a great point. I was always a fan of Todd Huntley. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC answering your questions on any subject. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Yeah, Frank, uh, in light of the serious stuff that happened today, I wanted to ask you a silly question. Oh, I can handle it. Uh, yesterday on my 15 seconds, I said I would take the feces guy and stuff his mouth with feces until he choked. I was wondering, Frank, do you think it would be a greater punishment to stuff his mouth with those seven-day-old deviled eggs in the refrigerator? <laughs> You know, I didn't see those eggs in the refrigerator today. Uh, did you notice, Matt, if those were still in there? Uh, I didn't see them in there. That's a, that's a good question, Neil. I didn't notice that. Yeah, I haven't I, looked in the refrigerator, I, I but did, I guess somebody took the hint. Did you get the memo that I put out about my Aunt Camille's egg salad this morning? I'm going to have to try some of did that. Did you get that memo, though? I saw it, yeah. You did? Okay. I did get the memo. But, yeah, I'm, I was surprised there was still any left because that is good egg salad. That is quite good. Uh, 800-848-9222. We'll have to check on those deviled eggs, see if they're still in there. See, now, once Lent begins, and I go I go into a Lenten fast, right? I go, you know, not only do I refrain from booze, I refrain from everything. You know, you will not see me eating sugar for the next 40 days. You won't see me eating fat or, or carbs, nothing for the next 40 days, right? I, I you know, I kind of use this as my opportunity to... Be reborn for the for the cycle. 800-848-9222. Two open lines if you want to ask a question on any subject. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Patrick is in Pompton Lakes, New Jersey. Hello, Patrick. Hey, Frank. I wanted to ask, in light of everything that's going on, are you a prepper or a survivalist? And what are your plans for any kind of uh, pending catastrophe? You have a cabin in the woods stowed away? Or a bomb shelter. I, you, you know, I don't even prepare for what I'm doing tomorrow, let let alone the end of the world. I am not at all prepared. If there was a nuclear disaster or some sort of major uh, apocalypse, I would not be at all prepared. I have a basement which I would be running to in the hopes that I could find somebody to play ping pong with in the event of uh, a major, major issue. I, I am totally unprepared, Patrick. Oh, well, okay. No advice there. How about you? How about you? Do you are you uh, you have a bomb, a fallout shelter somewhere? Um, no, I, but I, I have just recently built a cabin in the woods uh, in the farthest northwest corner of New Jersey over there in Montague. And uh, I'm up in uh, High Point State Park, and I have a nice little cabin off the state park. And uh, that's my go-to if anything happens. Now, well, uh, keep me in mind. Send me an invite if the uh, <laughs> if the you-know-whatever hits the fan. Thank you, Patrick. 800-848-WABC. Susan is in Brooklyn. Hello, Susan. So now that the uh, the uh, state party had their powwow and they nominated uh, Lee, uh, uh, Zeldin, what's his first name again? Lee. Lee. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I got it. All right, Lee Zeldin. Uh, does that mean that Astorino um, and um, uh, Giuliani have to go and get, of course, I want to say Andrew Giuliani, get um, signatures to run in the primary? And uh, what do you think about how that um, will play out? Because with the uh, you know party bosses picking the candidate, I just am thinking back a couple of decades that um, it wasn't very good when the Pataki tried to keep, um, um, you know, uh, um, 
McCain off the ballot, and it was for presidential. It turned out to be a very big brouhaha lawsuits, and I know myself because okay. I had well, to let, get- let me let me try to answer your questions in the order that they were offered. One, um, it, it, does that mean that the other candidates have to uh, get uh, get signatures? Yes, as uh, you might have heard in my interview with Andrew on Tuesday. Uh, yes, he, Harry Wilson, Rob Astorino. All the candidates that want to run the primary are going to have to get a minimum of 15,000 signatures. I spoke with Rob Astorino's people uh, today or yesterday, technically. I think he's going to come on this show on Monday. And that's where their full efforts are going to be in terms of getting 15,000 signatures. In terms of how I think it's going to work out, look, I'm not a Republican. I'm not in the leadership of the Republican Party. But I think the leadership did exactly the wrong thing here. I think a primary... Mm -hmm can actually be a very healthy thing for a party. Even if the party was favorably disposed to Lee Zeldin, you have four Mm -hmm. credible candidates. I think they should have allowed each of them a spot on the primary ballot. It's what I would have done if I were chairing the party. And what we've seen, you don't even have to go back to the year 2000 with McCain and George Pataki. Just look at 2010. What we saw in 2010 was you had the Republicans nominate Rick Lazio for governor, and you had them nominate, uh, I think it was Bruce Blakeman for for uh, U.S. Senate, or it might have been David Malpass, but I think it was Bruce Blakeman. And then you saw two other candidates, one in the governor's race, one for U.S. Senate, go the petition route. Carl Palladino went the petition route for governor, and Joseph Diaguardi went the petition route for U.S. Senate. And lo and behold, the Republican voters, they rejected the candidates that were selected by the leadership, and they picked uh, candidates that went the petition route. So uh, there's something about voters in general and Republican voters specifically. They don't like a pick uh, crammed down their throats. So I actually think in some ways who uh, I don't know whether it's going to be Harry Wilson, Andrew Giuliani or Rob Astorino. But I think uh, that there's a good chance that a candidate other than Lee Zeldin could end up winning the primary for governor. I totally agree with you, and I believe it's going to be Andrew Giuliani, based on his uh, just, you know, he's he's just sharp. He's going to, I like all of them. I'm going to support any one of them. But I do believe at the end of the day um, that, you know, Andrew's already polling 20 points ahead. So the party, I, I guess got to tell you, uh, that it was very negative for Republican uh, Party when they uh, would not allow John McCain on the ballot. People changed their registration. Right. They wouldn't sign Republican yeah, petitions. I, I agree with you, Susan. Susan, thanks for the call. I have to move on. But in general, my attitude is if you think your candidate is so great, whether that candidate is George W. Bush or uh, Lee Zeldin or anybody, what's the harm in letting everybody run? Let everybody run. Let anybody that wants to run, run. And you know what? Tactically, from a Republican point of view, they would have been better off in the because they know there's going to be a primary anyway. You know, at the very least, Harry Wilson's going to be able to hire people to get those signatures. Why would you not want as many candidates as possible to divide the anti-Lee Zeldin vote? This way you look Democratic with a small D and you have all the anti-establishment people dividing the non the non-establishment vote. So I uh, I think this I think uh, Chairman Langworthy made a big mistake here, and uh, I think that you're going to see a big big backlash to this. 
Uh, we'll continue with your questions in just a minute. 800-848-WABC. Trying to answer your questions on any subject. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. Talk Radio 77. WABC. Never know how much I love you Never know how much I care When you put your arms around me I get a fever that's so hard to bear You give me fever When you kiss me, fever When you hold me tight Fever The great Peggy Lee singing Fever I'm Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. As we do each and every Friday morning at this time, we are answering your questions on any subject at 800-848-WABC because it is... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. I'd love to get, and whoever comes up with the most interesting question or the most creative question, Molly, Matt, and uh, occasionally Alex will determine who that person is, and we will send a piece of The Other Side of Midnight merchandise to. So I'd love to get some out-of-the-box questions, something a little bit uh, different, something interesting, something creative. But uh, you're welcome to ask about whatever you want. Uh, 800-848-9222. Film, television, books, business, radio, cocktails, uh, advice, pro wrestling, gambling, Atlantic City, restaurants, New York, the criminal justice system, aliens, whatever. 800-848-9222. Celia is in New Jersey. Hello, Celia. What's your question? Hi. Um, very simple question. Why conservative radio shows has nothing for Spanish community? Um what? Spanish people just listen to democratic uh, sections, stations, because there's nothing in the conservative way. But are you talking about, learn. Celia, are you talking about Spanish language programming? Yeah, it would be because a lot of Spanish old people like me, they know I speak English very well. So Interesting. they then believe what they listen like. Uh, Spanish people, especially women, they are very conservative. Yeah. Like, Celia, so, yeah, it's it's a good to... it's a good question, and it's one that I don't know the answer to. I know in Florida, uh, maybe because of the vibrant Cuban population out there, there are several Spanish language talk stations. I'm not sure why one has not taken hold in uh, New York. It's a good question, though, and I suspect our owner John Katsimatidis, who I know is probably listening right now. I suspect that uh, the wheels in his the uh, the wheels might be turning in his head right now to look at launching a news talk station on a Spanish language format that is sort of conservative, you know, right leaning. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, he does that and then pays you a consulting fee. If he doesn't pay you a consulting fee, at least you have a nice new radio station. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Mark is in Newark. Hello, Mark. 
Hi, Frank. Thank you. They say that the dinosaurs disappeared because of climate hit the, hit the planet. Why elephants are still here? Why are elephants still here? Yes. That's a good question. I, I don't know. The next time that we have uh, somebody that's an expert in zoology on, I will put that on our list. I don't know. Uh, it's a good question. There are other types of um, creatures that are prehistoric in nature that uh, that are still around as well. I don't know why the elephant is still here. Uh, let me say hello to Ronnie in New Jersey. Hello, Ronnie. Yeah, hi, hi, Frank. I hi. listened to you for a while. First time I called. Oh, great. I'll make this. I'll make this quick as possible. Um, there's one thing that intrigues me. Uh, this this Ukrainian uh, tragedy. Uh, they knew about this a year ago, and for some reason, I mean, we we understand the administration, the weak president, we get that. But why is he continue to buy buying oil, millions of dollars a day, financing this monster? Right. I don't get well, it. What, well, I, I, I'm going to put aside your happen? commentary and your characterization, but okay, um, the the uh, so look, obviously that's a question you'd have to ask President Biden, not me. But it's no, I'm because just your that's okay. Right. Well, it's because um, we are already seeing uh, gas prices going up dramatically and inflation in general going up dramatically. If you all of a right. sudden were to stop the importation of Russian oil, you would see gas prices be at $5 a gallon, and that would lead to uh, a dramatic price increase of everything. And I think as much as President Biden may say he wants to stand up to Russia, punish Russia, punish Putin, I don't think he wants to deal with the political consequences of people paying $5 a gallon for gasoline. I think that's probably the reason, but again... Uh, I know we're frequently mistaken for one another, but my name is not Joseph Robinette Biden, so I can't tell you why he's making that kind of a decision. 800-848-9222. Tommy is in Brooklyn. Hello, Tommy. Morning, Frank. Morning. Um, I, often, I often felt that the aliens uh, could have always been here, you know, possibly living under the water, over the, over the, under the ocean, or even among us, if they are, like, similar to humans. Um, I also thought that maybe they could be living on the other side of the moon or they could live in spaceships because we have ships coming in and out. Ooh, I like it, yeah. So uh, just a thought. What do you think? I, I absolutely think that's likely. And um, I think that that's uh, I think that's not just possible but very likely. And some of the experts that we've spoken to on this subject, they have said, that they think that that's likely. Uh, Bill Burns, for instance, but others as well. I think that's very possible. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Thank, Thank you very you. much. I mean, there's a re- we do see them going into the oceans. So I, I think that's very, very possible. 800-848-WABC. Esme is in Ontario. Hello, Esme. Hi, Frank. Hi. Um, for, about fi- for about five years, I had the great pleasure of working in the Bronx in the mid to late 1990s, and one Saturday, I took a tour. It was only offered this mountain in the Bronx every one Saturday every summer. He offered a tour of all the sites in the Bronx that were connected with the Charles Lindbergh baby or son's kidnapping. Oh, really? That sounds interesting. It was really interesting, and he never told us. When you say he, who is he? Oh, I don't know. I just, it was like one Sunday I happened to be outside Yankee Stadium when there was a, a flyer posted mm-hmm. that he posted with just his name and phone number. And it was like $20 for the whole afternoon and they made you lunch and he rented like a little mini bus. But you don't know this person's name? 
No, sorry, I don't. Okay. But so what's your question, Esme? So my question is, um, he would never tell us his opinion as to whether or not he thought Lindbergh was involved in his son's kidnapping. And I'm just wondering, my question to you is, what do you think? It's a great, great question, Esme. That is one of the great mysteries of the 20th century. Personally, look, Charles Lindbergh, there's a lot of bad things that you could say about him. Nazi sympathizer, absolutely. Philanderer, cheated on his wife, had uh, children in Europe that he did very little to take care of um, throughout their entire lives. Absolutely. A lot of negative things that you could say about Lindy. That being said, I do not think that Lindbergh was involved in his own son's kidnapping. Um, You know what? We're probably due for a show on the Lindbergh baby because it's one of those things that's just so interesting and there's so many different theories. And you know what? We should have done it on March 1st uh, because that's the date of the kidnapping. This was actually the 90th anniversary of the Lindbergh baby being kidnapped. So, you know, I'll tell you what. Next week, we'll do a whole segment on the, maybe even a whole hour, on the Lindbergh baby and some of the theories involved in the disappearance of the Lindbergh baby. I'm going to work on that over the weekend. Uh, it's a great thought, and uh, I do not think personally that uh, that Charles Lindbergh was involved in his own son's disappearance, even though I know that there's some people that say that. Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles. Yeah, hi. Great hi. show as usual. Thank you. My question, my question is, in a marriage where one spouse is dysfunctional and abuses the other spouse, which is who is healthy, abuses the other spouse verbally in front of the children. Should the healthy spouse do the same? I would say no. I I mean, look, I'm no expert in marriage, as my own wife will tell you. But I would say that, um, you know, one, the reason somebody's lashing out verbally against someone else, whether it's a, a spouse or someone else, is because there's something wrong uh, with them. They're unbalanced. They're not well. They're. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Because, uh, but you're going to do it anyway. So by all means, go ahead. No, I really am sorry, but I don't know. You might want to hang up on me because I, I. It's anecdotal. I didn't take a survey, but every spouse that didn't respond, I don't give a damn what psychiatrists, psychologists say. Every spouse that didn't respond loses the children because if you don't respond. The children, we're talking, they want to live. The healthy spouse doesn't want to get divorced because of the kids. He won't get divorced. So if he does not, he or she does not respond, then the children believe the evil one. All right. Well, Charles, it sounds like you had, you already had an answer to this question. Not sure you why you bothered asking me. 800-848-WABC. Stu is in Brooklyn. Hello, Stu. Hey, good morning, Frank. Morning. Frank, given the demographic of your audience, uh, your sales team uh, look for any special products. It depends on soft food. No, seriously, what what sort of advertisers do they look for? Uh, you know, I think they look for, in our case, anybody that's interested in reaching a lot of people. You know, we're the number one show uh, from one to five in the whole New York metro area. So I think uh, they're looking for anybody that um, you know that's interested in in folks that uh, that are you know that are listening. So I, I don't think I, I couldn't tell you if they do any specific targeting. That's sort of out of my, uh, out of my specialty. Sorry. 800-848-WABC. Jan is in the East village. Hello, Jan. Oh, <clears throat> hi, Frank. I hope you can answer this rather easily. Probably sure. since I know less than nothing about football, 
uh, when that whole controversy arose with, what was his name, Brian Flores, is that his name? Um, yeah, the, the coach of the Dolphins. against yes. being a coach. Yeah. Yep. And another thing came up, which I don't understand at all, which has to do with teams wanting to play badly so they get the best draft pick. Yeah, Do it, I have that right? That makes no sense to me. Okay. Could you explain sure. what that means? L- let, let me explain this v- very yeah. simply. It's a good question. Why are we playing badly? Well, I'm about to the, tell you. I'm about yeah. to tell you. So um, okay. it's, it is somewhat counterintuitive. Why would any team yeah. want to play badly? So the the team that has the worst record in football mm-hmm. gets the number one draft pick from any college player. They get to pick really? the best college player. The team <laughs> that finishes almost as bad as the worst team, they get the second best draft pick. So the better a team does the lower down and fewer players they get to choose from in the college draft. So the theory is, behind that, the theory is that if a team is not going to make the playoffs anyway, that they should be playing for the draft pick and doing as poorly as possible so this way they have an opportunity to get a great player next year that could end up uh, changing their fortunes. That's kind of It's a good question, and that's that's the theory of it. 800-848-WABC. Uh, let me say hello to Karen in Rockland County. Hello, Karen. Hi, how are you? Well, I uh, think I'm doing just fine. Appreciate you asking. Good. You have to, <laughs> you have to think about that, huh? Uh, all right, so the, uh, what is going on in Russia and Ukraine, if that was transferred to the galaxies, how you know, like uh, Mars or Jupiter, how do you think a... Um, a spaceman would handle it. I, off again. I'm, I'm not sure even. I, I'm not sure I even understand the question. If it, if this happened up in the galaxies, I mean, how do you think uh, you know somebody from Mars or Jupiter would handle it? I I, I have no idea. I mean, I, I, like, I don't know anybody from Mars or Jupiter. I don't know how they would view. Uh, intergalactic politics any different from geopolitics i can't answer that one sorry rogers in massachusetts hello roger yeah a few months ago thank you you can hear me right yep okay good thanks you mentioned you included the country of india as a short list of countries that in the future could be worldly uh world leaders i thought to myself India seems so underdeveloped. If, if the, on the one hand they're very they're conscientious and they value education, but if OSHA or the Department of Transportation were over there, they'd be they'd have a fit. And so I thought to myself, why do you think that they are so woefully underdeveloped? Is it an old-fashioned religion or something, or what? Tradition or what? So why is why is India underdeveloped? Yeah, they seem like they're so underdeveloped. Anything, any, any documentaries or w- with them or about them, I don't know what they produce other than spices. And uh, it's all rural. They drive crazy. They, they'll ride up on top of a, a train if there's no room to get inside. I, mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't quite get it. Well, first of all, uh, I think India is better off in many respects than you might suspect. When it comes to not just spices – but when it comes to petroleum products, India is is in the top 10, uh, maybe not in the top 10, but they're up there. When it comes to drugs and pharmaceuticals, 
you have no idea how many of the drugs that you're consuming on a day-to-day basis are, are from India. When it comes to textiles, cotton, uh, all sorts of clothes, it, it they are a leader in that. They're a leader in electronic goods. So I the thing with India is they have a massive population. So you have a lot of very wealthy people, people in India, but there's 1.3 billion people in India. So let's assume... 100 million of them are doing super well. 100 million. That's huge. Let's assume 500 million of them are firmly encased in the middle class. That would still leave five or 600 million people in poverty. So I think it's a numbers game. And I think that leads to some of the other reasons where you're seeing the kind of images that you do. Uh, I don't think they have adequate infrastructure both in terms of uh, roads and things like that, but also just in terms of uh, things like uh, plumbing, indoor plumbing, and a sufficient amount of infrastructure necessary for the existing population. Also, you you mentioned religion, Roger. Believe it or not, I think that's part of it. I I think that the fact that the caste system is still so alive and well in Indian society, it does lead to certain aspects of Indian society being shunned by other aspects of Indian society. So I think that's um, I think that's part of the reason what you're seeing. But make no mistake, there are a lot of super wealthy people in India. And India is the, – the, the thing is, just think of the, the – think of Times Square pre-COVID, right? And you, you, there would be days when you'd walk in Times Square and you wouldn't be able to walk without bumping into someone. That's how it is in – so many provinces in all of India, and it leads to all sorts of problems with sanitation. It leads to problems with people throwing trash on the floor. I dated a woman one time who lived in India, and um, well, I met her when she lived here in America. She was American, then she moved to India, and then you know we we would stay in touch. And she would talk about uh, what the great disparity in wealth in India. You go to some places; they look like palaces. Other places look like slums. And they're right next to one another. And uh, so I think I think part of it is also due to the caste system. Part of it's due to corruption. But I think most of it's just a population problem. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. This is a question. I'm going to try and get in at least a couple of email questions. Uh, this is a question from Tom who writes, Do you think it helps or hurts a politician or media personality to admit when they've been wrong on an important issue? Does it diminish or enhance their future credibility with their constituents or audience? That's a good question. I think, no question about it in my brain, I think it absolutely helps. I don't know a politician or a media personality that hasn't been wrong about something, and yet very few of them seem to admit it. And I find when you genuinely admit that you were wrong about something, the audience appreciates that candor, and they're much more likely to forgive you than if you insist that you were right and keep digging a hole for yourself. Uh, so that's my take. I think the best example of that is John Lindsay when he ran for mayor in uh, for re-election in 1969. Now, John Lindsay's first term was far from a bed of roses, right? I mean, there was... Uh, 
a garbage strike. There was uh, labor union unrest. There was racial unrest. There was uh, all sorts of problems with education. There was all sorts of problems with everything in the 60s in uh, New York City at the time. And he ran a commercial with which was just him sit, standing and staring at the camera and saying this. I guessed wrong on the weather before the city's biggest snowfall last winter, and that was a mistake. But I put 6,000 more cops on the streets, and that was no mistake. The school strike went on too long, and we all made some mistakes. But I brought 225,000 new jobs to this town, and that was no mistake. And I fought for three years to put a fourth police platoon on the streets, and that was no mistake. And I reduced the deadliest gas in the air by 50%. And I forced the landlords to roll back unfair rents. And we did not have a Detroit, a Watts, or a Newark in this city. And those were no mistakes. The things that go wrong are what make this the second toughest job in America. But the things that go right are what make me want it. So he turned that in to a brilliant commercial, not only admitting his mistakes, but essentially using it to tout his accomplishments. And what could you say? It's like that scene, and I always go back to this, in 8 Mile with Eminem. At the end of that movie, he says anything negative that anybody could think to say about him. And then the person that he was rapping against had nothing else to say. And it's funny, I did that same thing when I first started, when I first came back to WABC. I was on the weekend, and the first thing I did was I listed every negative thing that was out there about me. Anything that's negative that you could find out about me on the Internet, including some things that you can't find out about me on the Internet. I listed every single negative thing. It took me about 20 minutes um, because I said, let me get it all out of the way. Now you know about it. I don't have to worry about being exposed. Here's everything. And I think that carries a lot of credibility with people. 800-848-9222. Now, this is an interesting thing. Uh, Gina in Brooklyn, I am told that this is the best question and that Molly doesn't even want to tell me what category it's in. So you have a lot to live up to here, Gina. Well, I hope I can live up to my question for you, Frank, is if you had to have a warning label attached to your forehead, what would it say? Warning label attached to my forehead. I would say um, I think it would probably say. Um, uh, will will probably consume your liquor. I would assume it would say that or something of the, along those lines. Um, but yeah, I really that, that's not one I've ever thought about. I'd have to give that some more thought. Jeanette is in Manhattan. Hello, Jeanette. Hello, Frank. I would like to know: Do you have a special protocol that you do to keep your voice intact for someone who speaks? For four hours, for five days a week, do you go on vocal rest? Do you take any kind of lozenges? Because your voice is always so robust. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, I think I could probably be doing a lot more. But um, I do gargle. When I start to feel my voice is getting a little raspy, I try to gargle with both, um, you know, warm water and salt and mouthwash. 
And I do uh, I do keep some throat drops uh, when I have to do the Sunday morning show with John Katzmatidis. That's when I feel my voice is a l- the most rough because I'm still sort of shaking off the cobwebs. And I will take a Ricola or something. But I feel like I could be doing a lot more. The, the best thing that I do, I think, is try to make an effort to inhale through my nose before I speak. And I found that that leads to a level of projection and vocal strength that's not present if you're breathing through your mouth. But I know, like my friend Joe Piscopo, for instance, he has all sorts of voice exercises that he does. I really don't do any of that. I uh, I really, uh, you know, I do a lot of the standard stuff. I'll, I'll drink hot beverages, tea and so forth. But uh, I could probably be doing more. But the only thing that I make a conscious effort to do is gargle and to inhale through my nose before before speaking. Uh, great question, though, Jeanette. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Charlotte writes, I'm, I was ignoring all the email people here, so let me try and get to a few email people. Charlotte writes, hi, Frank. This is Charlotte, the baby lady. And I was wondering why it is wrong to call Ukraine the Ukraine. We call Bronx the Bronx. Um, so interesting question. The reason it's wrong to call Ukraine the Ukraine is because it's not called the Ukraine. When they became a country over 30 years ago, they officially decided what they were going to name their country. And they decided to name it Ukraine, not the Ukraine. Now, it's not wrong to call a country the United States because that's the name of our country, the United States of America. So it's not the Ukraine. So... It's so insulting, I feel, to that country to call them the opposite of what they want to be called. The Bronx is called the Bronx. Um, the reason it got started, and I've answered this many times before, but in, back in the 1600s, you had this family that lived in that part of New York with the last name Bronk, B-R-O-N-C-K. And when they owned all the land up there, so when people would say they were going up there, they would say they're going up to the Bronxes, or they would say they're going to see the Bronx, or they were going to visit the Bronx land. And then that sort of just took hold, and that's why we call it the Bronx. And it's in um, that, that's what it is. New York City officially refers to it as the Bronx. Um, and it's the Bronx. The post office refers to it as the Bronx. That's its proper name. So the reason we call one the Bronx and one Ukraine is because each of those are what they're called. 800-848-WABC. We will continue with your questions straight ahead. WABC. This is the other side of midnight. Well, we hear the ticking of the clock. We are closing in on the end of the hour, which means very soon we will select... Whoever has come up with the best question for today. So please, you got a few minutes left. Be creative. Think out of the box. 800-848-WABC. We're going to try and get through as many of these questions as we can. Uh, let me say hello to Nate in Union. Hello, Nate. Hey, Frank. What is the most common question you get on Ask Frank Anything? You know, that's a great question, actually. And it totally depends on what's happening in the world at that time. If it's in the heat of an election season, it has to do with elections. Today, a whole bunch of people had questions about Ukraine. 
usually, or if there's changes at the radio station, like when Frankie Russo was no longer on the station, people would call in, oh, what happened to Frankie Russo? When Juliet Huddy was no longer on the station, they'd ask, oh, what happened to Juliet Huddy? So it's sort of whatever the question du jour for society or for the radio community is, that's oftentimes a question for me. But uh, barring that, you know what question I get more often than not, including from some very famous people? Do Curtis Lewa and Ron Kuby get along or did they get along? Another question I get often is, how old is Mark Simone? Another question I get often is, is Mark Simone gay? Another question I get often is, um, tell me why Curtis was shot. Another question I get asked often is um, about uh, how I became uh, friendly with both John Gotti Jr. and Curtis Lewa. But um, in terms of on a day-to-day basis, it really depends on what's happening in the world that given today. Today, there's a lot of Ukraine questions. That's uh, mostly what it's uh, what it tends to be about. Nancy is in New Jersey. Hello, Nancy. Yes. Hi. Frank, I want to know who picks out your music. Well, it was always me, uh, but then they severely limited me in terms of music licensing and things like that. So now, now we have to request the music a few days in advance. So um, it's I still send suggestions every day, but we don't necessarily have those picks every day. And Matt Blaze usually fills out the gaps, and I think he has a helping hand from uh, Molly as well. So it's it's a collaborative effort. It's Molly, it's Matt, and it's me. 800-848-WABC. Uh, let me say it. Corey is in Brooklyn. Hello, Corey. Good morning, Frank. Um, my first question was, uh, have you ever been in a fist fight, like as an adult, say street fight against somebody you don't know, like just random stranger? And then the second quick one was, we I, I believe Putin has probably killed people with his bare hands or assassinated people, whereas Joe Biden has probably not. And does that make a difference? Well, look, I, I can't speak to whether or not Putin has killed anyone with his bare hands or not, or whether Joe Biden has. Uh, I have. I have. I been in a fist fight as an adult. I don't think so. I was in quite a few fights in high school. Uh, that's probably the last physical altercation that I was ever in. I, I've been in quite a few almost bar fights. The most notable of which was in two thousand nine, uh, December, November, or December of two thousand nine. When I um, tried to get a bartender at Langen's to step outside and fight me and he acted like he was going to come outside and fight me. Now, you can imagine the condition I was in to be able to challenge a strapping young bartender to a a fist fight and beg him to come outside. I mean, you imagine the gin soaked brain that you're dealing with. So he said, yeah, I'll come outside and fight you. And then he closes the door behind me. And locks it and locks me outside of the bar. And I start banging on this bar door. And I, of course, break the glass in the bar door. And uh, then they call the cops uh, and be, and threaten to throw me in jail for, um, you know, for breaking the glass on the uh, on the door. I'll tell you what happened on that story another day. But uh, needless to say, I did not go to jail. 
800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Let me squeeze in at least one or two more. One open line if you want to jump on board. Uh, Tom in the Bronx, what's your question? Yeah, hi, Frank. I, I heard you talk about the Bronx. Real quick, Tom, before. what's your question? Because I want to get into some people here. Uh, well, uh, the, uh, the mayor that was in charge when the Bronx was incorporated in 1914 the Bronx got its name from the Bronx River. So, what's your question, Tom? And and uh, and and Mayor Valentine. Tom, w- your question. Well, the question is, who was the mayor? But I know the I know the answer is Mayor Valentine. Excellent. I'm glad I could help answer that question. Leo is on the Upper West Side. Hello, Leo. Hello, Frank. How are you doing tonight? Great. I have a question, unless it's secret. Uh, who did you vote at uh, last two elections? And if you know who Curtis Leva voted last two elections? For what? For, again, for, for, for what? For what office? For president? Presidential. Presidential. Uh, presidential in 2016 election. and 2020, I voted for Donald Trump. In 2020, uh, Curtis voted for uh, Brock Pierce. And in 2016, he voted for Gary Johnson, I believe. Actually, I think he changed his vote in 2016. He was for Gary Johnson, and then he didn't like Gary Johnson's answer on Aleppo. And I think he might have written himself in. But uh, either he wrote himself in, he, either he wrote in a candidate, or he voted for Gary Johnson in 2016. In 2020, he voted for Brock Pierce. I voted for Donald Trump in uh, both elections. Thank you. Good Thank night. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Mike is in New Hyde Park. Hello, Mike. Good morning, Frank. Uh, you're very diplomatic. I've been listening for a long time. I'm just curious. Have you ever read or even glanced at Henry Kissinger's book, Diplomacy? I have not. Uh, I have not. Is it worth reading? It's a it's a big book. It's, it's the sum wealth of his knowledge. And what I love about it is that you can either read it page to page or you can just open to a particular chapter. But it, it, it thoroughly describes the relationships between the soccer field that we know as Europe and how it translates to the new world. Yeah, I've never you read it. it. That's exactly the kind of books that I like. Barry Farber's book is like that as, uh, as well. Uh, my friend Arthur wrote in and asked, do I think Andrew Cuomo will run for president in two years? Not only am I going to say no, I'm going to say hell no. In fact, I will bet anybody any amount of money that Andrew Cuomo does not run for president in two years. I could see Hillary Clinton running. I could see Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez running. I see no scenario in which Andrew Andrew Cuomo runs for president in 2020. No, none whatsoever. All right, uh, that is probably it in terms of questions. Matt, Molly, and sometimes Matt, uh, Alex, do we have a consensus on who asked the best question for this hour? Corey, about you ever getting into a fight. All right, Corey in Brooklyn, congratulations. You have won a wonderful piece of merchandise from the WABC Radio Store. If you're not so lucky as to be as creative as Corey... Go to WABCRadioStore.com and search The Other Side of Midnight or anything else. There's a lot of great hosts with great merchandise. And if you use the promo code FRANK15, you're going to save 15% off on whatever you buy. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, it's no secret that uh, I am a dog lover, and uh, I'm interested in pets. I currently with three cats. 
But uh, I've always been much more of a dog person. And I love talking about dogs. I love talking about pets. I love hearing people's stories about dogs. You'll notice how many of the talk topics we do are dog-related. But I we've also been chronicling the workplace. I love to talk about the workplace, the psychology of the workplace, the economics of the workplace, the um, what goes on in the workplace. And we've been talking about, including yesterday, getting people back to work. I'm an advocate in getting people back to work. I like what the governor said. I like that she's making a lot of the state workers, all the state workers, go back to work. People ought to be going back to work. I think that's a nice thing, healthy thing. And I think it has all sorts of other benefits. But employers are really struggling to get people to go back to work. So I came across a very interesting article in Axios yesterday. Axios is a a news source, and they have a whole bunch of different varieties. Axios World, Axios Israel, Axios China, Axios Space, Axios Politics, whatever. So I'm reading this article, and evidently, Employers are debuting workplace perks to recruit new workers and get existing workers to come back to the office. A really interesting story by Erica Pandy. That's the reporter. The last frontier for employers to recruit new talent and to get other people back in the office is pets. Pet friendly benefits. One in five American households. Now, that's a big percentage. That's 20%. One in five American households adopted a pet during the pandemic. So surveys show that pet owners, particularly dog owners, like working from home in order to care for their pets. And I'll tell you, in the case of my mother and her domestic partner, Jim, th- they both worked from home during the pandemic. And the big winner in that whole deal was my mom's dog, Watson, my brother, my dog brother, Watson, who was thrilled to have both of his parents home all day. And when they both went back to the office, Watson, you could see the dog get sad. So not only does the dog not want to be left alone, but the dog owners don't want to leave the dog alone. So now a whole bunch of employers, in order to get people to come back to work and recruit new people, they're offering a wide variety of pet benefits. Now, there's still a long way to go. As of 2020, just 4% of employers allowed workers to bring pets to work. That, that Now, that means 96% of workplaces will not let you bring your pet to work. Um, less than 1% of workplaces offered what they call paternity leave, which is paid time off to take care of a new pet. Now, they give you paternity leave or family leave, in order to take care of a new baby. And you think about it, and I know some people may bristle at this comparison, getting a new puppy or a new kitten or whatever, a new lizard, in some respects, it's look, I find the dog comparison most apt, but in some respects, it is like getting a new baby. Your, your, your whole life is upended. 
you have to deal with how you're going to feed this entity, this living thing, how you're going to deal with this living thing doing its business, who's going to look after them. There are a lot of things to figure out. And if you have a dog especially uh, and you're working on making him housebroken or uh, you got to take him for walks, it's tough to do if you're out of the house eight hours at work and then another three hours commuting to work. So I actually think that more businesses should offer paternity leave. Now, think about that. Just 4% of employers allow workers to bring pets to work. Less than 1% offer paternity leave. What do you think of that? If both of those things were changed, in an era where businesses of all types are having a tough time hiring people, would that change things? 800-848-WABC. Do you support support paternity leave? My answer, absolutely, 100%. Now, the rejoinder to that is, well, look, no one forces you to get a dog or a cat. Um, no one forces you to have a child either. But I think adopting a dog or a cat that would that would not have a home or in some cases might be put to sleep if it didn't get adopted, I think that is a very noble thing. And I would love to see employers give people a little bit of time off to take care of a, a pet. And I'd love to see more employers allow pets to come to work. I remember, you know, one of the things that I first um, bonded with my uh, friend Joe Piscopo about was Joe's love of dogs. Joe is very close to his dog, Otis. And um, he asked me when I was producing his radio show about eight years ago, he said, can you talk to the bosses and see if it's okay to bring Otis into work? Now, the company that we worked for at the time didn't have any policy for or against it, as far as I knew. So I asked the general manager, a great guy, Jerry Crowley, and Jerry said it's okay on a once-in-a-while basis. So Joe would bring the dog in to the radio station occasionally. And I got to tell you, the radio station was such a better place to work in having a dog there. People would come by the the studio and uh, – and pet the dog. People were wanting to take the dog outside for a walk. It it was such an uplifting experience having the dog in the workplace. And I think you're going to see more companies following the lead of tech companies like Amazon and WeWork that allow pets in offices for all the workers who don't want to leave their furry friends at home all day. And we could see even more robust benefits like pet insurance offered by employers. Wouldn't that be nice? You know, pet insurance costs a fortune. Are you aware of that? And the only thing that costs more is if you don't have pet insurance and you have to take your pet to the vet. So employers currently give their their workers many, not not everybody does, but many employers give employer-sponsored health insurance. Why shouldn't they offer, as an option, employer-sponsored pet insurance? So tell me where you are on these ideas. In general, do employers need to become more pet-friendly? 
800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. My view, the answer is clearly resounding, absolutely yes. Um, number two, if you want to get into spe- specifics, should employers offer paternity leave? I think they absolutely should. Three, should they offer pet insurance? That one I'm a little less adamant about. And uh, four, should they allow dogs and cats to come to the office? Now, obviously, whenever you have dogs running around the office, there's a danger, as dogs do, that somebody could get bit. So I think the one proviso of allowing dogs in the workplace would have to be that you assume any responsibility for any property that that pet damages or any any people that get hurt because of that pet that you bring into the office. So that's what, you know, uh, this way employers don't have to worry about getting sued if somebody's pet tiger comes in and mauls a coworker. So that's my two cents. I'd love to hear your thoughts. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. One, two, three, four, five open lines. So you get right through. 800-848-9222. Um, Molly writes that she's been campaigning to get an office goldfish and name it John Jr. Jr., that's very funny, actually, John Jr. Jr. But wouldn't it be John the Third? No, I mean, if you want to do it that way, you can. But that's not. It's not as funny. It's just not as good. That's true. Okay. And I, I asked Curtis about it actually, and I, I said I, I think we need an office pet. I think we need an office goldfish or something. And he said that we weren't responsible enough. I, well, I agree with Curtis on that <laughs> the one. Big dog, the German we shepherd. have had uh, fish in this office before uh, at the radio station here. And uh, w- what would happen is people wouldn't take care of them. They were being overfed. They weren't being fed enough. And then people kept buying more fish to put in the same fish tank, which was screwing up the fish ecosystem. So um, and then there was the same thing with the lizard. We had an we had a radio station lizard here about um, about 12 years ago and people weren't taking care of that. So I, I agree with Curtis on that one. Uh, but uh, like, if you want to bring in your own pet, I think that's a different different thing. If we're going to be campaigning for something as an office, though, we should be campaigning for a ping pong table. That's my two cents. Andy is in Vernon. Hello, Andy. Hey, morning. How's it going? I think it's going um, fairly well. That's good. That's good. Thanks. Uh, one sense people tend to forget, don't get along with each other. Who doesn't get along with one another? The dogs. Who? You get some Who dogs get... themselves. Oh, the dogs themselves. Sometimes you'll get a big uh, German Shepherd that is like a puppy dog or like a a, a stuffed dog, and then you get a little chihuahua that, that just nippy, nippy, nippy at everybody. All dogs don't get along with each other. It's asking for a problem. Well, we that's have, true. We have a, uh, that we is have true. A family farm. That is we have true. A family farm, and people bring their dogs up all the time, and you can't have it because all the dogs get in fights with each other. Well, I, I, look, that's a legitimate concern. That could also happen at a dog park where they let the dogs run uh, free in the unleashed section of it. Again, you're there supervising your dog. You're not trying to do your job. Well, that's true. You're trying to supervise your dog. Yeah, the dog is your job at a dog park. That's true, Andy. I I would hope that they would ask uh, people to be responsible with their pets. And I think the reason you point out is why 96% of workplaces don't allow pets because there's a fear that most people wouldn't handle this responsibly. Look, 
I still think there's got to be a way to bring pets to work in a conducive manner. Maybe you have a, a day. Maybe you can't bring it every day, but maybe people get to alternate pets so that you don't have a German Shepherd feuding with a, a Rottweiler. You don't have a, a Doberman feuding with a, a Chihuahua. I recognize there are some logistical hurdles that come with this. I think it's worth doing. At a time when people are having a tough time recruiting people, at a time when folks are having a tough time getting folks to want to come back to the office, I think we need to look at this. Honestly, You, uh, at the numbers that I cited from the ASPCA, one in five households are households that have adopted pets during this pandemic. And what are we just saying to those households? Give your pet back, give it away, don't come back to work, or leave the pet alone for 12 hours a day? I don't know. I think we got to figure out a way to make this work. Tom is in the Bronx. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Hey, look, um, that's, that's a good idea. I agree with it. But some people are going to mark my word, have their little dogs in their laps, you know, Pets might be too attached to them, you know, that they're they going to make a fuss, make a noise. You know what I'm saying? Just be going crazy. But how about if they can find pet walkers that will come and maybe stay, take turns staying with the dogs all day? Well, see, that, see that's what I'm thinking. The, that, the, that's what I'm thinking, Tom. Exactly the kind of thing that you're describing. That is precisely the sort of logistical thing that we need to figure out is maybe – yeah, each office has dog might need go ahead, go yeah ahead. maybe each office has sort of a dog steward or a dog keeper whose job it is to look after the dogs yeah well hopefully the place could have a, a room that they can put the dogs in and the the guy could stay in there with them or if they willing to take the dogs out for long periods of time you know uh, you know, something like that. Uh, Tom, I, I think it could work, and I think that's the kind of thinking we need. You know, I like to go to Cape May, New Jersey frequently. My wife and I enjoy going there every summer. We usually try to spend about a week there. We'll rent a house, or if not a house, we'll stay at a bed and breakfast something somewhere. And it, it's really fun to go. There's this terrific dog-friendly restaurant in Cape May, and they actually not only encourage you to – I think it's Harry's. I think it's Harry's Ocean Bar and Grill, although it might be um, might be another. There's a few. There's a few dog-friendly restaurants in Cape May. But they encourage you to not only bring your dog – oh, it's the Rusty Nail. That's it, the Rusty Nail. They encourage you to bring their dog. They also have all sorts of dog items on the menu. That you can order for your dog. And I I don't know. I find it to be a lot of fun. Now, I went, we went with our friends, uh, Virginia and Kevin, a couple of years ago. And that was a bit much because they brought two dogs. So one of the dogs was always barking, and then it would make the other dog bark. And we tried to order them from the Rusty Nail, one of those, they have a dog beer, no alcohol in it, but that's what they call it a dog beer. And you pour it into the dog bowl. And then it did get to be a bit much when they would bark, and then other dogs would bark. So, I guess you kind of have to know your dog and whether or not it's going to be conducive to a workplace. If you're going to bring a dog to work that's going to bark all day, I don't think that's fair to your coworkers or your dog because, you know, probably he's not too happy. But I'd love to – so let's – we got that, right? I love the Tom in the Bronx solution, which is make accommodations, which is all I was saying. Maybe have a dog room. Maybe have somebody that come comes and works for the facility 
whose job it is to take care of the dogs. But what about this other idea of paternity leave? As it stands now, 99% of companies do not offer paternity leave. Should they? I think so. 800-848-WABC. Joe is in Ron Konkama. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank, another great show. Um, I agree with you 100%, but I got one more better for you. What about when your pet passes away? I was working for a print shop, and they actually made fun of me. I had the dog for 16 years, and she died of cancer. And I took two days off because I was devastated. The right. dog was, was before I got married, before I had children. And they actually told me they weren't going to pay me. I couldn't use vacation or personal time because they found out one of my friends at work told them why it took off. And I think they should have, like, bereavement for pets because my pets are like my kids. I mean, I'm the same as you. I love them. I take them everywhere. And I think the job should be more, you know, um, more um, amicable towards, uh, you know, bringing your pet to work. Morgan, it's not an aggressive dog. Right. Right. Again, that's the thing is whenever you give people a little bit of freedom, so often they do something that that makes you regret giving them freedom. I agree with everything you said, Joe, including that idea for not just paternity leave, but pet bereavement leave. I have known a lot of people who, when their pet dies, they're not able to function. I mean, what good is it to have somebody come to work and they're so overcome by grief that they're not able to do their job. I'd rather have, let's say it's Matt Blaze. I mean, Matt Blaze doesn't strike me as somebody that gets overly attached to his pets, but let's say it's Matt Blaze. I'd rather have somebody fill in for Matt Blaze that day than somebody who is totally distracted. I mean, Matt has a tough enough time even when he's not distracted. (laughs) Hey, have a great weekend, Frank. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. 800-848-WABC. Matt, I, am I, are you a dog or, or, or a pet person? Yeah, I have two dogs. You have two dogs? Yeah. You do? I have a Siberian Husky and an American Eskimo. No, that's nice. That's nice. So I'm a, I'm a dog person. I, I'm not into cats. But do, do you get attached to your dogs? Well, no, not in that sense. I mean, my dogs are both older now, and my, one, my Husky's probably got a, a year or less. So we'll see what happens. Um you know, when when it's time, it's time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, exactly. We'll see. Uh, I'm encouraging you to take the day off that day. 800-848-WABC. Marilyn is in Manasquan. Yes, I think you should get Paris to imitate the host and the callers. <laughs> that guy doesn't give up. He's got Molly's number quite liber- li- literally. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, having our number, uh, we've got a, a special guest on the line calling from Milan, Italy. We're going to we're going live to Russia later, so this is quite an international show. My friend Frank McKay, a nationally syndicated radio talk show host, a longtime Independence Party leader, and he's he's got a lot of other accolades and a lot of other lines to his resume, calling in from Milan. Frank. Thanks so much for uh, calling in. Yeah, thanks for taking my call, Frank. Yeah, I'm in Milan, Italy, uh, awaiting a uh, flight heading to the Ukraine. And, um, you know, it's it's so fluid, my situation. Um, and, you know, it, it changes uh, day to day. I just, it, when I got off the plane here from JFK, I, um, I you know, I looked and, and there was a boarding pass waiting for me. Uh, to to fly into uh, uh, Romania, and I'm going to ultimately be in a a, a place called Yashi, and it's on the uh, 
Madalva, uh, Madalvia, uh, border, and uh, and it borders uh, the Ukraine. You know, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a hundred miles away, but uh, they're explaining to me how uh, how I can get in, and there's some crossings there. The the interesting thing is that the uh, the customs agent here just explained to me that, and maybe you heard this uh, in in you know the seven hour flight. So I didn't hear much. Um, supposedly, uh, there, someone hit a, a nuclear site. Yeah, and yeah. What, what what do you know about that? Well, it, it, it see it's a, it's a pretty frightening situation. Apparently, the one of the big nuclear power plants, even bigger than. Uh, Chernobyl, it's, um, it's been shelled and there was, there was this big fire that they were having a difficult time even as, uh, an, as of an hour ago. They had a tough time getting this fire under control. Thankfully, now this fire seems to be under control and they've put it out. But there was, uh, um, there's six nuclear reactors at this particular nuclear power plant. So thankfully, they're, they say uh, I can't even pronounce the name of where this plant is. It's Zaporizhia or something along those lines. But it provides a fifth of the total electricity that's generated in Ukraine. So it's uh, it's it's quite serious stuff out there. Yeah. So well, Frank, what's your game plan once you ultimately make it to Ukraine? What what are you going to be doing out there? Where, what are you going to be seeing? Well, I'm I'm filming. Right, so I'm I'm filming, and I, you know, I honestly, I'm I'm flying blind. I think I told you in an email, I'm kind of flying blind, and I I'm imagining uh, it's going to be the saddest uh, situation uh, on on the planet. It's going to, uh, you know, be a, a tremendous amount of um, refugees and interviewing refugees on on camera, and uh, and again, um, you know, some radio, but you know, I I think I'm going to concentrate on on film and and just report back and. If, um, you know, if, if anything, you know, shocking. Uh, I imagine everything's going to be shocking. Uh, it's uh, it, honestly, it's uh, you know, it's not like going to Disneyland. I imagine this is going to be uh, just completely, you know, just total sadness. Uh, you know, even here, I mean, I, you know, I, I see who I think are are refugees um, from the from the Ukraine, and you know, some. Um, it just it's 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 just heart wrenching. They look. This is in Milan, Italy. Uh, you know, they look absolutely devastated, and I imagine, um, I imagine we're going to see a lot of that. Uh, I'll look out for protests, uh, and you know, I'll, I'll try to get into the Ukraine border from uh, three different countries: um, the uh, uh, Madavia, right? Um, and I'll get the pronunciation better <laughs> once I once I get there. Romania, uh, and then Poland. Uh, but uh, but also, uh, someone sent me a map. Of, of Hungary, the the border over there, there uh, there are a lot of people coming across, and the Czech, uh, not the Czech Republic, the uh, Slovak Republic, um, but those those countries, and I'll I'll, I'll just kind of see what's there. I'll, I'll be looking for protests. Um, uh, you know, there'll be refugees everywhere you look. I mean, uh, I think someone said there's a million and a half already, and it's expected to to grow to four million within uh, within weeks. Uh, terrible situation, but uh, it's something. Uh, you know, I you know, hey, look, I, I got the time, and I figured let me let me run over there. Absolutely, and, uh, no, I'm glad you're going there. Going do you have um, do you have a plan for how long you're likely to be staying there? I, I got a one way ticket. <laughs> I, I just got a one way ticket, and it uh, and that uh, that keeps changing. So I'm gonna I, I'm gonna see what happens. But I'll tell you what, uh, from what he told me about the nuclear 
a reactor. And what you just said there, I'm, I'm going to spend as little time in this area as, uh, as possible. And, you know, I don't want to sound flippant about it, but, I, uh, you know, I've got to land there, um, you know, later today. And, and I'll get over. That's the first place I'll be over the border. I, I, I haven't been able to sleep. Uh, you know, on the, uh, you know, on the plane. So, I'm, uh, you know, I'll see what I'm like when I'm on the ground there. And, uh, and uh, you know, again, I wish I was as young as you, Frank. It'd be a lot easier to carry this uh, this backpack. I got like 60 pounds on my back. <laughs> I'm 55. I didn't, uh, I, I didn't feel 55 until today, you know, <laughs> early or yesterday. And uh, yeah, it's, it's something else. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's, uh, it's an opportunity to see, uh, up close and uh, and and firsthand, what we're hearing. I, I mean, I don't even know to believe in the press. Uh, no, know, no, so. and that seems to be one of the things that uh, folks are very skeptical about is what they what they should be believing. And there's a lot of altered footage coming out of there, and a lot of other things. Frank, uh, maybe we could chat with you, uh, assuming you're still there on uh, Monday morning. Maybe we could chat again with you on Monday morning and get sort of an update about what you're seeing once you're in Ukraine. Yeah, I, I'll I, I'll be available, and I'll, and that, that sounds great to me. And uh, and yeah, I, again, I imagine it's just going to be uh, sadness on top of sadness, seas of sadness. And um, yeah, uh, well, listen, uh, thanks for uh, the, you know, thanks for uh, uh, the interest in this. You've been doing a great job talking about it, and uh, everyone appreciates uh, that. But uh, it's just uh, it's just a terrible situation. Um, hopefully, I'll be talking to you Monday. Thank you, Frank. Stay safe, and uh, please keep us posted. Thank you, Frank. Take care. Frank McKay uh, heading. He's in Milan, Italy right now, heading to Ukraine. Uh, Coming up in a minute, we're going to talk with Ronnie McMullen. Uh, Ronnie McMullen is the grand poobah over at GetTheTea.com. And uh, GetTheTea.com is your window into purchasing life change tea. It's a great product. Uh, which I take regularly. Let me squeeze in at least one more call here before we move on to Ronnie McMullen. We were talking about uh, workplaces becoming more pet-friendly, and I think it's a good idea. I think workplaces should be making an effort to be a little bit more pet-friendly. Nancy is in North Bergen. Hello, Nancy. Hi. I'm the babysitter, remember? (laughs) Very well. They got $10 a a week. Uh, I think it's great having the pets. They'd have to have a schedule. The only thing is they'd have to make sure that the other workers, none of the co-workers have any allergies to pets because that friend of mine, um, they were allowed to bring pets and the one girl had allergies. And so then after they had to stop it. And um, so, you know, but I think it's a great idea because they kind of make people calm too. Even if they just had fish but the thing is, like you said, they have to take care of the fish and take, you know, keep it clean and feed it and whatnot. Yeah. Another no, question. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Another question, not related to the pets. You had the dentist on that was writing the books. What is his name? Uh, Jeffrey Gurian. Jeffrey. Gurian. Gurian. Yes. Yeah, because he, he sounds very interesting. Yeah, no, he's a funny guy. Uh, thanks for your interest, Nancy. Yeah, great thoughts. It it is interesting. You know, the the her point about pets de-stressing a workplace is a good one. I was a grand juror um, many years ago, and you know, you do grand jury service on the floor of the DA's office, and in the DA's office at the time, they had an emotional support animal. And it was there if you were a victim of trauma, assault, rape, whatever the case may be, 
this pet was there to comfort you. And I heard from friends of mine that worked in that building that this pet did wonders not only for victims of crimes, but for the people that worked there. And they found that the pet was helpful in de-stressing them and in ultimately making the workplace more productive. So, hey, uh, we're going to talk with Ronnie McMullen from GetTheTea.com straight ahead. WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. Well, you look at what's going on in Washington, you shrug, you shrug your shoulders and roll your eyes in frustration. You look at what's going on in Eastern Europe and you think, oh my goodness, how sad, and you shake your head in frustration. Whichever way you look, there seems like there's a whole lot, bunch of bad news, whether you're talking about a Russian invasion of Ukraine, whether you're talking about big tech censorship, whether you're talking about rising crime on the streets of America's largest cities. And it just seems like there's so little that you can actually do to change things. It actually contributes to this incredible feeling of powerlessness. Well, one of the things that you can do something about, one of the things that you can control is your own health. And look, now that this is the Lenten season when a lot of people are into sacrificing and doing without and self-reflection, I find this is as good a time as any to try and refocus on your own health. One of the things that I think you'll find will do a yeoman's job in terms of refocusing your own efforts on your health and improving your health is something called Life Change Tea. From time to time, we've been fortunate enough to talk with the Grand Poobah uh, over at Life Change Tea, which you could find at GetTheTea.com. Ronnie McMullen. Ronnie, it is great to talk with you again. Thanks so much for joining me on the radio. It's such a crazy time. How are you doing, Frank? It is a crazy time. So, uh, you know, uh, have you found that what I was saying is true, that uh, when you – the more – crazy things seem in the world when we're talking about the news, the more you want to focus on the areas of your life that you can control, whether it's finance, relationships, money, uh, and of course, your health. Have you found that that's true? Absolutely. I think, you know, I try to, I get a lot of calls and people say, you know, what do I do about this? Or, you know, stock market's really weird. It's about ready to crash and all, you know, all the we're going to war. What about the people dying, innocent people dying? And it's, it's you know, in a terminology, the world is on fire. And what that does is it upsets us. It upsets our stomach. It upsets our brain waves. And the next thing you know, our immunity is in the toilet, which is exactly what, I'll just put it this way, that our immune system goes bad, and that really doesn't help with all the stuff that's flying around. So the long and the short of it is maybe take another look at things and say, could I be looking at illusion? And and it's hard to say that people are going to – I mean, that's real stuff. It is real stuff. But it's still somewhat of an illusion. I mean, it could be worse. Uh, there could The bombs could be nuclear, so that it could be worse. And the stock market could have crashed today, and it didn't. So, I mean, things could be worse, but they're not. So if we look at the positive side, 
we're going to be starting looking at our our health, and our health really needs to be paid attention to right now, because when you have a gut feeling, it goes right to the brain. So if you're not thinking right, you're not making the right decisions. And so I've got help here. I've got a sale going on called Pick Your Cleanse. It's on the front page of GetTheTea.com. You scroll down. It's D365, which is tea in a pill, and then a basically a one-month supply of tea. And all of that helps you with your digestive tract, which gets kind of stopped up when you're worrying. And tell me, Frank, isn't everybody worrying right now? Uh, that That is for sure. Now, Ronnie, I've been talking about GetTheTea.com for a while, and uh, if people want to buy anything on there and they use the promo code FRANK, uh, we're going to give them free shipping. But for people that have not yet tried the Life Change Tea, before we get into supplements that you might have available, but for people that haven't yet tried the tea, what makes it so special? What does it actually do? Well, it's an herbal tea. You know, it's in a green package, so people sometimes just think it's green tea. And it's not green tea. It is a herbal tea, and that herbal tea goes to town and works on your digestive tract, helps clean your colon, nothing worse than a colonoscopy, and uh, helps clean your colon and helps you get thinking right. Now, it's interesting because there was a lot of researchers and scientists that basically said your gut is connected to your brain. That's why when you have a gut feeling about a business deal, Mm. you start thinking a certain direction. It's all connected. So if that's true, and I'm not saying this next piece is true, but I've talked to a few scientists and they've kind of said, yeah, this could be a real deal. If you're cleaning your gut, if you're cleaning your colon, if you're cleaning your digestive tract, could you be cleaning your brain? Could you be getting your brain in a better mode to where you can basically think better, think straighter, make better decisions. And that's basically when you clean your stomach out and you clean your digestive tract out, your immune system picks up too. So it's really important to take care of our bodies right now, especially with all the worry and the fear. Yeah, no, that is for sure. I mean, uh, coming out of this pandemic, there's been so much attention paid to the immune system, but very little discussion about how to actually improve one's immune health. And it does seem like the more we learn about the immune system, the more we learn about different types of uh, bacteria, so much of the overall health that, uh, that one has begins in your gut, doesn't it, Ronnie? Absolutely. Your your biome is very important. And, you know, a lot of people, be they take antibiotics. And I don't want to slam antibiotics because there's a time and a place for them, but some people are kind of addicted to them. And they wipe out the bad bugs. They do. But they also wipe out the good ones. So, and even oil of oregano, which is a natural supplement, same kind of thing. So you got to be careful. And that's what's really nice about Get the Tea and Life Change Tea is because it's a gentle cleanse, and it goes right to the root. So if you're kind of feeling sluggish, it's going to give you a little more energy. Um, There is green tea, but there's no caffeine, so we don't have, you know, there was another cleanse I was looking at, um, not a competition, but different kind of cleanse, and had caffeine, like loads of caffeine. And I thought, that's no good, (laughs) a little heart racing action. This just gives you natural energy because it helps you. It's the tea that makes you go. You can take that as energy or you can take that as somewhere else, but it's a tea that makes you go. And, boy, it really helps 
when you're having a rough day. Mm, uh, that is for sure. I could tell you folks that from experience. Now, you alluded to the caffeine issue. I saw an article this week that sales of melatonin supplements are through the roof because people are having such a difficult time sleeping. Do you think that yeah. is tied to the overconsumption of caffeine in this country? <laughs> You think energy drinks, I always think it's funny, energy drinks are nothing but sugar and caffeine. And and companies make billions of dollars with just sugar and caffeine. What do you think that does? It wires you. And what do you think it does to your immune system? Oh, my gosh. Sugar is a toxin. So, you know, and, and not to bang on sugar. We all like our sugar once in a while. But, oh, my gosh, people really need the basis of sugar. You'd realize how dangerous that could be to your system. So long and the short of it is the life change tea at getthetea.com is absolutely wonderful for your system. It's going to help clean your colon. It's going to help clean your digestive tract, possibly be cleaning your brain, getting you thinking right, and relaxing you. And so it's very, very – and, and let me tell you something else. The taste is absolutely wonderful, absolutely wonderful. It's not bitter. It's, you know, people think of black tea and, oh, it's bitter and it's, you know, but it's basically really, really um, tasty. I, I like it anyway. Uh, so do I. I throw a little lemon juice in there as well as I mix it with the uh, water and I uh, flavor it to taste. And uh, I find it very refreshing as well. You can uh, I, you drink two glasses a day and uh, you see the note, the difference almost immediately. And that's what I've been hearing from more and more of our listeners who've been trying this stuff and uh, have seen not only an energy boost, but just sort of a, a, a much healthier colon, much healthier bowel movements, and in general, uh, much less of a feeling of being uncomfortable and stopped up. So people can check out uh, the product for themselves at getthetea.com. There's a big special on there on the front page, and uh, it's not just the tea. Uh, You know, I didn't mean to sound like I was knocking melatonin before. I've ordered melatonin through uh, getthetea.com. There's a ton of other supplements that you can get on there as well, stuff for your heart health, stuff for your eye health, all sorts of other stuff for your immune system. Whether you're into pine bark extract or colostrum, it's all available on there. And if you use the promo code FRANK for any of it, you will find that you are saving yourself some money and you're trying a product that's uh, completely natural. It's got no GMOs. By the way, Ronnie, this is one of the areas, I know you tend to lean to the right politically, but this is one of the areas where I feel like you and folks who lean to the left politically sort of meet. We hear so often um, from government regulators and others, n- namely big food processors, that there's nothing wrong with GMOs, there's nothing wrong with genetic- genetically modified foods, and it's a lot of times the folks on the left that are that are the ones pointing out, well, maybe we shouldn't be giving folks all these genetically modified foods and telling them it's good for them. We, we, I know there's no GMOs in any of your products. Why do you think that maybe people should think twice before trying genetically modified products? Because, first of all, GMO stands for genetically modified organism. Now, think of that last word, organism. It's something going in your body that shouldn't be going in there. It's been altered. So the long and the short of it is what you're eating is an altered food. In fact, some of the foods that we're eating... Your, your body doesn't even recognize it as a food. It's more of just an intruder or a substance. 
So I don't do any GMOs at all. Um, I was shocked one time I looked up Coca-Cola and right on the front page of Coca-Cola it said we use genetically modified organisms. I'm like, oh my gosh. But you know, if you say it enough time, GMO, GMO, and they and we do, just like you know, you say a disease enough, we become experts mm. and we don't realize the punch that's behind it. So we say, Oh, is that got GMOs? And pretty soon the you know, the president says there's nothing wrong with GMOs. Hillary Clinton says nothing wrong with GMOs. I just say, well, then how about you have a steady diet of it? And if there's nothing wrong with it, then why would you not mark it on the shelves? Because 70% of our grocery stores are GMO. Well, yeah, and not only that, uh, but why would you then trample the First Amendment rights of food processors that want to stick a label on their food that says our uh, our foods are G- 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 are free of GMOs? Why would you be fighting right. so hard against that? Makes you think if GMOs right. are so great, what's the harm in telling people about it? Ronnie, um, it's always a real treat to talk with you, and I hope people go to getthetea.com. I hope they'll use the promo code frank as they order and i'll look forward to our next conversation appreciate it frank stay strong thank you and have a good weekend this is the other side of midnight you want to comment on any portion of our conversation give me a call 1-800-848-wabc that's 1-800-848-9222 straight ahead wabc This is The Other Side of Midnight. That's California Love by uh, Tupac Shakur, who a lot of people believe is still alive. Who knows? You be the judge. I, uh, we report, you decide. So, I am, uh, as you know, a big fan of uh, professional wrestling. So, when I was, um, when I was, when my wife and I were expecting our, our son, who thankfully is, you know, a healthy three-month-old now, when she was with child, she put together a lengthy list of things for her ba- baby registry. But a lot of people asked her, "Do you want, you know, what, what do you want? What's on your registry?" Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. And she put on very sensible things, all sorts of stuff that we need. Now I have no idea what a child needs, and I, but I have a pretty good confidence that I married a woman who does. She is the second oldest of nine children, so she's the oldest girl. In a family of nine. So essentially, she was really like the second mother in her family. So she knows what babies need. And she asks me, you know, she's trying to always be accommodating and communicative. She asked me while uh, she was putting this registry together, is there anything that you want to put on the registry? And I said, huh, let me think. So I came up with uh, two items. Well, technically three, but it's really two. So I came up with a million-dollar man onesie. If you remember the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, the wrestler, um, 
uh, he sells on his website something just for babies, a onesie for babies. So I said, we got to have that because every baby has its price. And I could see, you know, my son Carmine, he hasn't worn it yet. I think it might still be a little big for him. Uh, he hasn't worn it yet, uh, but you could see him just walking around laughing like Ted DiBiase. And the other thing was a Ric Flair bib. Technically, it was two bibs. And, you know, my son spits up over everything. All Whatever I'm wearing in any given day, even if I have uh, a burp cloth and he's – and I try to aim him properly. He's still spitting up over everything. I have. Um, I came in with a jacket one time uh, a month or so ago, and it had a white patch around the shoulder. And uh, Molly said, oh, is that from Carmine? And sure enough, I look, there's like three white stains from him spitting up on me. And I'm not complaining. But he spits up all over everything, and his bibs become saturated. So I kept complaining to my wife. I said, hey. Where is the Ric Flair bit? Flair is, in my view, he's my favorite wrestler. I don't want to say he's the greatest of all time because then you have the Andre the Giant people making a case for him. You have the Luthez people making a case for him, the Hulk Hogan people, whatever. I don't want to get into a whole debate. You got to beat the man. Woo! I'm the man. Now, I said to my wife, why doesn't he ever wear his Ric Flair bib? And she said, well, you know, I kind of get in the habit of washing the same... 10 or 11 bibs and recycling them. I said, well, I'd like to see him with this Ric Flair bib. So last night, for the first time, we put this Ric Flair bib on him. And just as uh, David Flair's debut in the world of professional wrestling led much to be desired, the bib looks great. It looks great. But it's Velcro. This is the first time we ever did it, right? The we it, it it wouldn't close. We couldn't get the Velcro to latch. So it was sort of I don't know. It was um. It was. It's kind of lame. I hate to say it, it looks great, but it, the bib won't close. So I don't think we're going to be able to use it again because what good is a bib that won't let Velcro shut? So I don't know that we're going to use it again, which is a big disappointment. I'm sure not only to me, but to Flipper. You remember Flipper, who used to work here? She used to produce the Bernie and Zid show. She's the one that got that for me, or for Carmine, as as a as a baby gift. But before we uh, discard this bib, I don't know if we're ever going to discard it, but we're probably not going to use it again. We were able to take a photograph of Rick of uh, this Ric Flair bib around my son. Carmine's neck, and I tweeted that photograph last night. So if you want to see that photo of Carmine wearing a Ric Flair bib, you can go to my Twitter, at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. And you can see a very happy Carmine wearing that uh, that bib. You know, see, what I do is I'm on Facebook, at uh, facebook.com slash Morano fan. I'm on Instagram at Morano Vision, M-O-R-A-N-O Vision. And I post different photos to each of the different platforms. So if you want to see all the photos that I'm posting, you really have to follow me in all three different places because I don't post the same photos on any on more than one platform. So this way it keeps you guessing. It's always something new and compelling that keeps you guessing. Now, so that was disappointing. I'm sorry that that bib experience didn't work. However, 
I am glad that uh, we were able to get that nice photo. If you want to join our Facebook group, you can just search us on Facebook at uh, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. And that's meant to be a platform for people to discuss this show, debate what we're doing, talk amongst yourselves. Coming up uh, at 3 o'clock, we're going to do uh, common – excuse me, denunciations as we do each and every Friday. And then at 3.30, we're going to go live to Russia to talk with Tim Kirby, who's an American expatriate – who's now a Russian citizen, and he's a very successful, very popular radio talk show host and YouTuber out there. So I'm going to ask, one, how an American ends up living in Russia, and two, what his take on is on this whole Ukraine situation. So uh, I'm looking forward to that conversation very much, and I hope you enjoy it too. Now, if you go to my Instagram, you see the photo at Morano Vision, M-O-R-A-N-O Vision, of me going to Rayo's two nights ago with my friend, let's just call my friend Imran, who did not have enough money to pay his bar bill. So we had to go to an ATM and I had to get money out of my ATM in order for us to, A, pay the his bar bill, but two, get my jacket and his briefcase back. They had to reopen the restaurant for us and you could see the, a photo of some very unhappy Rayo's people there. Although I will say, one of the things that made me feel good is one of the guys that works at Rayo's is now following me on Instagram, and he clicked like on that photo. So I, I think they do have sort of a sense of humor about it. You know, 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Mario is in Brooklyn. Hello, Mario. Yeah, how you doing? Uh, stitch uh, a shoestring on that bib, and you'll be able to tie it off. Well, I suggested I suggested to my wife that we get a safety pin and put it back yeah. there, but she wouldn't go for that. Yeah, she didn't go. For you that. don't want the kid to get a hold of that. Yeah, that's what forward. she said. That's yeah. what she said. Drop yeah. a bit. All right. Anyway, my comment is: I believe one of your topics was enticing people back to work. Now, in today's world, the older people understand what I'm going to tell you: that customers make paydays possible. That's a forgotten thing in the workforce today because most of the younger crowd comes in, wants to get paid every week, but their clock watches, their taxes, and they really don't know how to do the job. So they fake it, and then they want to get paid big dollars. They don't want to start at the bottom. They want to work from the middle upwards. So the only way we're going to get on track is to let them know that they have to think about the customer and produce for the customer so that the company that pays them every week can stay in business. Otherwise, they're, they're getting on the, working off the company's dime now on the computer and staying home. Now, when the jobs start failing, right now there's so many jobs, nobody wants to fill them. But the day, God forbid, will come where there won't be the jobs. And then we'll all those shoppers. What are they going to do? I don't have an answer for you there, uh, Mario. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Dale is in South Carolina. Hello, Dale. How you doing, sir? (laughs) You got me? I I guess I'm doing okay. All right. Um, I've heard so much on the telephone, I forgot what I was wanting to ask you. (laughs) All right. Well, we're happy to have you call regardless. Uh Yeah, all right. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the dinosaurs. Mm Mm-hmm. You like dinosaurs? 
<laughs> well, I don't know any personally, but uh, well, I'm, I'm interested in dinosaurs, put, certainly. Put it like this. What happened to the dinosaurs? Well, they went extinct, unfortunately. Well, they went extinct, but somebody, uh, the scientists got together, you know, and they were trying to figure this thing out. And all of a sudden, one hit the table and says, damn it, I know what it is. And he says, what happened? Well, <laughs> they uh, they caught something that they couldn't reproduce. They caught this thing called uh, reptile dysfunction. Oh, that's a good one. That's one. Good I, one. I'm sorry we didn't have a uh, rim shot ready promptly. That's a good one, Dale. I like hey, that. Can I actually. tell you one more? Please, yeah. Okay, this has something to do with you take a a male horse and you breed it with a ma- uh, female donkey. Okay. And you get a mule. Right. Okay. Well, the mule turns out to be what is known as a smart ass. Oh! Now, 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 listen to this now. Reverse the project where you use a female horse and a male donkey. You know what you end up with there? I'm afraid to ask. Uh, a smart ass. No, it was called, it was supposed to be a dumb ass. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't like that one as much, I have to say. I mean, uh... I think, Dale, if your future lies in comedy, it should be dinosaur humor. That's your specialty, dinosaur humor. Once you get into donkey humor, male humor, I don't know that that's for you. I don't know that's for you. We'll get into that in the 4 o'clock hour, try to pick what Dale's uh, specialization should be. We got denunciations coming up next, and then we'll go live to Russia to talk with Tim Kirby. In the meantime, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. It's that time of the week, that time where I call out those who have committed injustices, those who have wronged me or wronged society or wronged others. I give voice to the voiceless every Friday morning at 3 a.m. when it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciation. Ah, yes. Let me begin by denouncing the Gorillas app. So this app wooed New Yorkers by promising groceries and other essentials in just 10 minutes. Now, this app launched in May. Splashy ads all over the place boasting groceries in 10 minutes. You know how handy this would be for me if this actually worked? They raised a whopping 1.3 billion with a b 1.3 billion dollars in venture capital well it didn't work this app which was promising deliveries of groceries and other essentials in 10 minutes was taking more than an hour more than an hour 
Now, come on. They duped a bunch of New Yorkers into downloading this app, and they're probably selling the data for everybody that downloaded it to a whole bunch of different hostile actors. They duped the venture capitalists that put over a billion dollars behind it, and it doesn't even work in terms of doing what it suggested. Come on. Gorilla's app, I do denounce you. I also want to denounce former Goldman Sachs star Tim Leisner. Leisner or Leisner. Evidently, this fellow testified that he tied the knot with Kimora Lee Simmons, even though he was still legally married to Judy Chan Leisner, from whom, according to Bloomberg, he faked a divorce. This guy was so eager to be married to two women that he faked a divorce from his first wife. Now, this is not right. This is a fraud perpetuated on the American people. It is a violation of the law, and it makes a a mockery of marriage. Now, if we want to have a discussion as a society about whether or not polygamy should be legal, I'm happy to have that discussion. But for whatever reason, we as a society, at least in New York, have decided that we don't want to allow polygamy. And yet, Tim Leisner wants to make a mockery of these laws by getting a fake divorce in order to be married to more than one woman. Now, I know a lot of you fellas that are married probably would have the same reaction that I do. Why would you ever be married to more than one woman? I mean, come on. Talk about a glutton for punishment. I also want to denounce meat. Oh, yes. We're seeing new data from the uh, University of Connecticut Health School of Medicine. That shows that if you eat a lot of meat, you are actually at an increased risk for multiple sclerosis. Absolutely. Multiple sclerosis, or MS, is an autoimmune disease in which the body attacks the insulation around the nerves. It's not clear what triggers the attack, but mounting evidence suggests that bacteria plays a role. Gut bacteria can affect the immune system and diet influences that gut bacteria. So to learn more about the interplay of diet, gut bacteria, and the immune system, along with MS, researchers studied 25 MS patients and 24 people without MS. And they found a number of gut bacteria associated with MS and severity of disability of MS. They also found increased autoimmune markers and signature metabolites in in MS. But what was really interesting is how these systems connect with each other and how diet is involved in these connections. So eating more meat, having lower levels of certain bacteria in the gut, and more of certain immune cells in the blood were all associated with MS. So meat, I do denounce you. Unless you can show me some data to the contrary, not cool, not cool. I have to denounce New York State Assemblyman Michael Tenusis. Now, I know Mike. Um, he's a friend of mine. He has been for many, many years when he was working for uh, Councilman Jimmy Otto, who's my favorite politician maybe in America. 
And I'm very pleased that Jimmy Otto is now part of the Eric Adams administration, by the way. So anyway, we're we're together Sunday at the um, reception for newly elected civil court judge Brendan Lantry. And I'm holding I'm holding this glass of wine. Well, all right, maybe I'm holding two glasses of wine. I think I was just holding one, but probably two because they're short cups. It's good wine, but it's short cups. So what am I going to go to the bar every time I want a glass of wine? No, you got to get two glasses of wine, right? So Assemblyman Michael Tenusis, I love him, and I'd vote for him if I was in his district, but he's such a klutz. I mean, you just look at this guy. He's such a klutz. And he's walking behind me, and he's like a bull in a china shop. And he bumps into my elbow unintentionally. I'll give him that. And he causes me to spill this red wine all over myself and all over the table in front of me. And ultimately, it was really embarrassing. Everyone thinks I'm, you know, some drunken idiot spilling wine all over the place when it's Assemblyman Tenusis that's bumping into my elbow. Now, I mean, I know it's an accident, but really, Assemblyman, watch where you're going. So then he was having some fun with it as I'm trying to get all this wine sopped up all over my uh, it's all over my torso. I look like a, a stabbing victim. And Tenusis, uh jokes to me, oh, that's for your support of Sal Albanese for city council. Now, he was joking because Tenusis is a Demo- is a Republican and I supported a Democrat for, for city council. But if this could happen to me, it could happen to anyone. So, Assemblyman Tenusis, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the state of Colorado. Colorado is a fine state. I've been there. But I think I was there. I was at least at the airport. I at least had a layover there. What an airport it is. Great airport. A lot of uh, Rockies memorabilia. Evidently, Colorado is the worst state in the union per capita for car theft. That's right. It is the worst state for auto theft per capita in the entire country. And a lot of people think it's because of a lack of accountability for people that commit auto thefts. And one person, uh, one person with the Metropolitan Auto Theft Task Force in Lakewood, Colorado, said, this is Mike Greenwell, a Lakewood police commander, Until there's accountability for people who commit auto thefts, we're not going to see this change. We're not going to see any change in any crime until there's accountability for it. Come on, Colorado. Get your act together. The last thing people want to do is visit a state and get their car stolen. I'll tell you what, if I ever visit Colorado, I'm not bringing my car. What do I need that for? Get my car stolen in Colorado? Come on. I must also denounce Frank... Abraqua, uh, I'm sure you've heard about this winner by now. This is the person who smashed his own feces in a Bronx strap hanger's face and joked with cops that blank happens before sneering to a Bronx judge, F you, B word. Um, clearly this is a fella that is very troubled. Um, 
When he was arrested, he made light of the, ta- of the attack, quipping to cops, blank happens, haha. This is a blanky situation. So, look, I'm sure this is somebody that's dealing with some sort of mental illness and would probably be better off on medication unless he, he's just antisocial and kind of a jerk. But I suspect you're seeing some undiagnosed or untreated mental illness. But Frank Abraqua, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the Metropolitan Opera. Soprano, an opera singing star, soprano Anna uh, Netrebko, withdrew from her future engagements at the Met rather than repudiate her support for Russian President Vladimir Putin. This has cost this opera company one of the top singers and best box office draws. Now, can someone explain to me how her refusal to renounce Vladimir Putin affects her ability to sing opera? Is she going on the opera stage and singing operas about Vladimir Putin? Is she singing, oh, Vladimir, I love you? No, of course not. There's no indication that her politics was affecting her opera singing at all. And the fact that this woman, look, Vladimir Putin, in my view, what he did in invading Ukraine is criminal. It's a violation of international law. It's also irrational. We're going to talk more about that in a few minutes. And I renounce what Vladimir Putin did. But this is a, a president, a world leader that is a very powerful world leader, like him or not, that gave her basically the highest award that Russia has in 2008. And the 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 European political situation is a very complicated one right now in Eastern Europe. And you want to oversimplify it in order to score points with the PC crowd. Okay, fine. But why demand that all of your musicians... Renounce Vladimir Putin. I, I I think this was a big mistake on the part of the Metropolitan Opera. The people that work here, I mean, not that I have any say in hiring or firing people, but Matt Blaze's job is to press buttons to put people on the air to play sound, which he does adequately most of the time. I have no idea what his view is of Vladimir Putin or anybody else for that matter. I couldn't care less what his view of any geopolitical situation is. As long as he's able to do his job, why should that same criteria not apply to an opera singer? So, Metropolitan Opera, I do denounce you. I must also denounce these bungling thieves who evidently could get cancer for stealing some a radioactive device. Uh, this is a really interesting story. These bungling thieves, I think this is out of Ireland. Um, yeah, these bungling thieves 
stole a device containing radioactive material from the back of a van. And now authorities are warning them that they could get cancer. It was stored in a locked bright yellow case, which was, which has the three file radiation symbols on it. And it's used to determine the density of compacted materials. These idiots stole it. And evidently, the risk of exposure to radiation is very real. And they spent a lot of time with this stolen device. Look, I don't like to see anybody get sick, including thieves. But, I mean, it serves them right. It serves them right. You steal things, chances are karma's going to get you either karma or radiation. Um, I want to denounce Israel's Channel 13. And this is such an important story. And I've retweeted this so you could see it. So we're so eager to, for any footage on television of a breaking news scene or anything that's ostensibly from a breaking news scene. So... Um, you see this video that Israel's Channel 13 is highlighting. It's B-roll. And you see this devastation all over Ukraine. It's terrible. And they show all this devastation in Ukraine, including tanks rolling through the streets, burning buildings, snowy highways, and, of course, TIE fighters and a stormtrooper. That's right. They, this channel aired video footage of a TIE fighter from Star Wars with a stormtrooper leaning on it, on the news, saying it was from Ukraine. Now, my question is, does anybody check this stuff before before airing it? Now, again, I tweeted it. You could see it at Frank Moreno. It's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. Does anybody say, oh, gee, what is that device? What is that vehicle? That looks exactly like what the bad guys fly around in in Star Wars. Does anybody say, "Oh, gee, what what uniform is that uh, is that person wearing? Is that from the Galactic Republic or is it from the Empire?" I, how do you look at that and say, "Oh, yeah, let's put that on television"? Because there's no quality control. There's no checking. We're in an era where people just rush to put things on TV. We right if if it looks bad. If it looks like it's footage from a war zone, even if it's from Star Wars, even if it's from fiction, let's put it on TV. This is so stupid. It's ridiculous. Give me a break. So Israel's Channel um, 13, I do denounce you. And finally, I have to denounce Kanye West. And I have to be honest, I went back and forth about whether or not to denounce Kanye West. Because, look, Kanye's a little out there. Actually, he's the artist formerly known as Kanye West. I think now he's just Yee. And he does something strange every week. And, you know, I don't like to denounce people redundantly. But he has this new video, this new music video out. And it's showing him, it's a claymation video. And it shows... A claymation version of Pete Davidson being kidnapped, decapitated, and buried alive by the rapper. Now, when so in the it, it also has the message in the video, the text, 
Everyone lived happily ever after except Skeet. Skeet is the Pete Davidson character in the uh, music video. And look, initially when this was brought to my attention, I said, uh, look, it's artistic expression. What do I need to denounce him for? But then I really thought to myself, there are a lot of people that take Kanye West seriously. There are a lot of people that look up to Kanye West. Um, And there are a lot of people, unfortunately, that are a little a little mentally unbalanced. And there might be some people like Charles Coteau, who shot James Garfield. He wouldn't he was not exactly the most well-balanced guy in the world. How many people out there do you think might do something to Pete Davidson, who's the owner of the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, along with our boss, John Katsimatidis? They might do something to uh, Pete Davidson in the hopes of trying to please Kanye West. There are so many crazy people out there. Do you really need to inflame them by showing Kanye by, by showing this image of Pete Davidson being decapitated and kidnapped? Look. There are 60,000 people in this country, maybe more, that voted for Kanye West for president, including prominent people like Tucker Carlson. Tucker voted for Kanye West. I mean, is this really appropriate for a leading musician, a billionaire, a prominent businessman, and a presidential candidate to be showing another star being decapitated? I think this is inappropriate. And Kanye West, I do denounce you. If you did something bad this week and you did not end up getting denounced, well, you got off easy. What can you say? Uh, you, you know, count yourself lucky. I see you wiping your brow right now. But you still have to live with your conscience, okay? Even if I don't call you out on it. Be lucky I don't catch you for next week. All right, um, coming up in a minute, we're going to go live to Russia. We're going to talk with an American expatriate named Tim Kirby, who hosts a very popular radio show and YouTube channel in Russia. And uh, we're going to get his perspective on what we're seeing with Russia and Ukraine. And we'll, uh, we'll ask him a little bit about his life and his perspective as an American living in Russia. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. WABC. It's no secret that the war raging in Ukraine right now is the biggest news story in the world. Uh, We are seeing Ukrainians continuing to flee. We're seeing some video of uh, Ukrainians uh, working to defend their cities from this Russian invasion. We saw a very troubling story last night of a large nuclear power plant that's responsible for a fifth of all the electricity in Ukraine being on fire. 
Well, I thought it might be interesting to get the perspective of someone living in Russia about how this war is going and get the perspective of an American living in Russia. So I'm very, very pleased to be joined by Tim Kirby, who's an American expatriate and a very popular radio host and uh, YouTuber living in Russia. Tim, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Uh, It's my pleasure. You also forgot to mention that I'm one heck of a right tackle for the Moscow Spartans. Uh, Everyone should look up the Eastern European Super League of American Football, EESL, on YouTube. So you can watch uh, and find out what the NFL would look like if they had absolutely no money. (laughs) That's on my list of things to ask you about, Tim. Believe me. It's an exhaustive list and getting longer by the second. Uh, So where are you right now? What part of Russia are you in? Uh, I am around Moscow as we speak right now, so okay. very, very far away from the conflict. In fact, a lot of people are a little geographically confused. Uh, inside uh, Russia with its, uh, let's call them current borders, uh, nothing of any sort of dangerous nature is happening. All right. So now um, tell us a little bit about your story. I know you're 40 years old. You were born yeah. in Cleveland, and uh, you, you, spent, uh, you, you spent your formative years in the United States when did you move to Russia? What made you move to Russia? How'd you end up there? Well, you know, at about the uh, end of uh, college, there I sort of uh, finished up stuff right, and uh, you went to college uh, in I have Pittsburgh, a design degree, right? Pittsburgh. And, uh, somehow, uh, despite the fact I'm a very, very large, hairy man, I actually got a little job uh, doing stuff in the fashion industry, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, I kind of got in the cycle of, uh, you know, make enough money just to make it to the next month. And that's it. And pay off those student loans and uh, sit in that room all day long. No women, no nothing. Just me and that computer. And uh, it kind of got old. Um, I can put it that way. Also, uh, uh, Cleveland uh, was definitely, especially Cleveland of the late 80s, early 90s, was definitely not exactly the um, most wonderful environment to put this sort of uh, John Wayne apple pie nostalgia in my mind. You know what I mean? Uh, so uh, when I got the opportunity to kind of join the U.S. Peace Corps, I did. I uh, served for two years in Kazakhstan, had a great time. Life was a lot more interesting despite living in a very poor country. So I decided to go back to uh, Russia. Uh, just to, to note, all my ancestors are from Eastern Europe. So it's kind of like going back to the motherland. Sure. It's like uh, I'm of Italian descent. It'd be like if I moved to uh, to Naples or something like that. Yeah, and you know what? I've actually met a lot of people around Europe who actually have, after a couple generations, uh, gone back. You know, something um, for some people, their ethnicity means nothing, right? Uh, and that's fine. Uh, but for me, it, it kind of does. And so there was always maybe something sort of drawing me back to uh, to find out what things are like had here. You, in had the, you to each zone. Had you visited mm-hmm. Russia prior to making the decision to move there? Well, the Peace Corps service in Kazakhstan. Remember, Kazakhstan has been a part of Russia for. Many, 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 many centuries um, and was cut off uh, during the uh, collapse of the Soviet Union, which is uh, one of the major reasons uh, why we have the problems we have in Ukraine today. So uh, Kazakhstan has some similar potentials. But uh, anyways, uh, you know, when I served there for two years uh, as a Peace Corps volunteer, it sort of gave me a little bit of a a parachute uh, in this process to sort of try out for two years what it would be like to live in a country and a country that's not like, I don't know, Sweden, where everyone speaks English and there's a bunch of money and all that stuff. Had you um, did you were you fluent in Russian prior to making the decision to live there? Nah, man. Sink or swim, baby. 
<laughs> but now you are fluent in Russian. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've worked on the radio for a long time. Uh, unfortunately, those who might uh, try to look up uh, anything about me, uh, working on the radio many years ago, the Wall Street Journal wrote a hit piece on me. Uh, it's all lies. It's all quarter truths. Uh, it's all BS. But you're free to read it for uh, comparison. But uh, none of that is true. So I now guess. that Wall Street yeah. Journal piece was written about nine years ago. How many years have you been living in Russia? That would be since the end of 2006. Oh, so that's like okay. 15 years or something. Sure. Okay. So now yeah. in that Wall Street Journal piece, um, and I, yeah. I appreciate you know you clarifying the inaccuracies there. It, you're sure. they quote you as saying that the American dream is better found in Russia than the United States. Is that a true? Is that an accurate view of how you feel? If we define the American dream. So what was the American dream? All right. So I'm living in a country that's filled with people that think the American dream is big house, big car, as in it is stuff. Okay. It is stuff. So their idea is you go to America, you get stuff, which is one of the reasons why, to be honest, I don't think uh, America should ever let Russian speaking immigrants into the country anymore because they only come to America to suck off the system. Okay. It's just, that's why they're there. Right. So anyways, there's that concept of the American dream. And that's what a lot of not just Russian speaking uh, foreigners, but a lot of foreign people around the world just see this as America is this infinitely, uh, I don't want to say giving or uh, basically you could just take whatever you want from it. Right. But the American dream was really founded on the idea that, uh, hey, you people, especially in Europe, you know, you have all these weird inter-ethnic conflicts, uh, religious wars, especially between Protestants and Catholics are killing all sorts of people for all these generations. Let that go. Come to America. You get a clean slate. We're going to give everyone a fair playing field. And, uh, you know, if you put in the effort, you can have a very nice life here without any of that garbage. The American dream is the opportunity to earn a big house and a car without all sorts of shenanigans or needing your uh needing the luck of having being born uh into some family where your uh grandfather was a general or something you see what i mean so it's an opportunity and the the thing i was saying is that in a lot of ways in america we started to lose those opportunities uh russia has a lot of opportunities right now the problem is russians don't believe they exist i see so So, maybe we're even so what you're saying (laughs) what you were saying if i understand it correctly is the opportunities for upward mobility uh, are greater in Russia and sort of the the embodiment of the American promise is easily is more easily achieved in Russia these days. It's not necessarily about getting a house with a, a white picket fence, one point five children and a dog. Yeah, I was said I was talking about the opportunities. Uh, things have clamped down in Russia. So with time. I don't know where the upward mobility really is anywhere in the world. I, um, I think that maybe what I said at the time was a little, was uh, more true than it is now. But still, I don't know. There's some opportunities here, man. Um, but- there's a lot of opportunities to do stuff. Um, but some of those come from maybe not positive reasons. Like I always tell uh, – I'll tell you this because I tell every foreign person that wants to, like, do some kind of business here or start some kind of life here, right? I tell them that you have the advantage – because you are going to be one of the very few people who believes in this country. Uh, you know, if you have no competition, it's easy to win. And that's kind of what it is in Russia. You're going to be surrounded by uh, tons and thousands and thousands of people who sit at home whining, you know, like, oh, everything's so hard. Life is so difficult. Nah, 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 nah. And when everyone is like that around you, if you stand up and do something, it becomes easier. Interesting. You Interesting. Know what I mean? Interesting. Now, I know you're a Russian citizen these Correct. days. 
Uh, do you still have a fondness or even a love of the United States, the country that you were born in? Uh, yeah, that's the difference between me and some, uh, I, would, I don't know what you want to call them. Uh, there, there's a growing term called the Russophiles, as in uh, foreign people who support Russia. Uh, I would say the divide into two camps. There's the one camp that are sort of the America haters, and I will never be an America hater. Uh, for example, I love American football. Uh, Russia actually has a lot fairer gun laws than you'd, you'd be surprised, okay? Uh, but then again, no one in Russia knows what their gun laws are, so maybe that's why uh, they don't even know what they are. Uh, so I like the guns. I like our football. Um, I definitely like our version of English uh, the best. Um, I think that there's a lot of great things about America. And one of the reasons that I'm probably here is because I think uh, uh, the American ideal has unfortunately become very twisted. Uh, and again, um, we've uh, if you look back to uh, how old are you, by the way? Uh, uh, oh, nobody knows. It's the best kept secret. It's a in mystery. New York. OK, yeah. well, I'm 40. So that would make my father turning about 70. So remember when he was growing up. Uh, well, what was America? It was John Wayne, uh, d- although he's a fictitious, you know, he's an actor. The real person's real, but his characters are fictitious. Then you get into your uh, I don't know. Uh, Annie Oakley, Daniel Boone, uh, right, the, the, the American myth, right? The uh, yeah, the American myth. And what was that myth? It was that you know people came here, they united together, they uh, manifested their destiny, they took the West, and they uh, a great nation. Okay, cool. What's the what are children being taught today? That all those people, the founding fathers, everyone, they're all evil. <laughs> That if you look at the way the overall liberal sort of, um, uh, 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 and I don't just mean liberal as in like not Thomas Jefferson liberal. I mean modern like fourth wave. Right, right. Uh, uh, hating kind of Andrew liberal. Jackson, Teddy Roosevelt, and Christopher Columbus liberal. Well, yeah, th- th- that kind. Well, the thing is, uh, there were some things to not like about Andrew Jackson. That's one of the other things is to we can't give in to extremes because about every person there's a bad side. Sure. Trust me. If you look into every historical figure, you'll find a reason to hate them. Oh, uh, no uh, question. But, but, but yeah. so how would you um, – and just so people know where you're coming from as we discuss yeah. geopolitical affairs – how would you characterize your own political ideology? I realize ideology can be a tough thing to describe, especially when we're talking international politics. But if you were to try and peg yourself somewhere on the right-left American political spectrum, how would you characterize yourself? Well, on the American political spectrum, there's a little bit of a problem because uh, both sides of the spectrum are uh, in, inside of what we call liberalism. Now, I just mentioned liberals is in this uh, sort of um, uh, mentality. But liberalism is the uh, system that uh, at the core of it is the idea that the individual is everything, right? Because in the Constitution, we're all guaranteed individual rights. There is no really no group uh, of, of any sort, especially now. Uh, and so uh, the thing is, is that both the right and the left in America are essentially different forms of individualism. One is uh, one that gives the econo- more economic freedom and tries to give less social freedom. The other sort of does uh, the opposite. So do I fit anywhere on that scale? I don't know. Uh, maybe on some level, I guess uh, I'm a lot more Republican than Democrat on some issues. Uh, but when it comes to this concept of let's have a pathetically weak government and allow corporations to do whatever they want. Uh, that's kind of where a lot of times the sure. Republicans lose me. You know yeah. what I mean? So like, are you, did you yeah. retain your American citizenship or have you renounced? Correct. You have. So you're a dual citizen, yeah. American and Russian. Yeah. And did yes, you, did both. you vote in the 2020 presidential election? 
Uh, I voted for the rent referendum uh, that was here due to the uh, due to some sort of weird error. I was unable to vote in the presidential election. The, the, I showed up. The, the I showed Russian, up and they said I wasn't in the registry. The Russian so. presidential election or the American presidential election? Russian. I vote in every American uh, presidential election. I've gotten a bit lazy about the midterms. Well, this time I'll uh, try to, but who knows if the ballot will actually get here. So, so in the American presidential election in 2020, I'm just curious, who did you vote for? Oh, uh, that would be Trump. You vote for Trump. Okay, I voted for Trump yeah. too. I'm just curious where you know where folks are coming from. Now, uh, in yeah. in this conversation, there are going to be people because look, when I raise, uh, forget about advocating. When I raise a Russian perspective, just giving voice to it, I am immediately shouted down. I'm deluged with emails, negative tweets, comments on Facebook of folks who say uh, that I'm a traitor or I'm a modern version of. Tokyo Rose, they're going to be people Mm -hmm. who say that you, by singing the praises of voluntarily moving to and becoming a citizen of a country that is, you know, in hostilities with the United States, they're going to be people that say that you're a a traitor. What do you say to those folks who might call you a traitor? Well, they should look at the Supreme Court's definition of of treason, which is that uh, if someone uh, actively fights against the United States in a war, as in as like a soldier, uh, it is if someone tries to take away the constitutional rights of Americans. Uh, And there's a few other more minor definitions. I don't meet any of those. So uh, the definition of traitor, I don't meet that. Now, in a more sort of like spiritual, general sort of sense, the problem is is, uh, quote quote mining. Because especially like with that Wall Street Journal article, which I don't feel is true, but a lot of people would, right? So they could look in that and be like, wow, what a jerk, what a scumbag. But we can also sit here and we could talk about all the problems in Russia. You know, the thing is, uh, I don't really get asked to come on any interview shows to talk about all of the internal problems of Russia because there's a lot of them, man. Uh, I tell it like it is. My job is, in my opinion, is to provide analysis of what's going on from a historical context related to uh, U.S.-Russian relations, especially and especially Russia itself or America for Russians, because they seem to have no ability to comprehend. Mm. What, so and, you, uh, sometimes you... sometimes those, uh, my opinions seem flattering. Sometimes they don't. When you want to get into all the problems in Russia that there are, let's rock and roll well, because so, it's also true. Well, let me ask, and with people just tuning in, we're talking with Tim Kirby. He's uh, an American expat uh, radio host living in Russia, also a right tackle for the Moscow Spartans. We'll talk about that in a minute. You, yeah. Would you have any uh, reluctance, either on radio or YouTube, in criticizing Vladimir Putin or his government's policies, for instance? Well, considering I've criticized his policies plenty of times, I guess not. No, so now there's this image of Putin that's been crafted in the American media, and there's this image of Russia that's been crafted in the American media that it, there's it, that there's no freedom of speech, and that mm-hmm. you can't be critical of Vladimir Putin without being thrown in jail. I guess you're walking and talking proof that that's not true. Yeah, I would definitely say that there are some other people. However, um, we have to remember that there's this concept called the Overton window. And the Overton window I mentioned a lot in my work, but because it's very relevant. And what's inside the window is essentially what's socially acceptable. Like, what's a very socially acceptable opinion right now? Like, I don't know. We should try to help poor people. That's something. You could have something that's more of an edgy uh, opinion that's sort of on the windowsill or the frame of the window. And then what's outside of the window is what's socially acceptable. And the shape and position of that window kind of move around over time just like we were talking about when my uh, father was a young boy the overton window in america of uh, political opinions was very different from what it is um today 
And so if you want to specifically focus on some people who are way outside the, the Russia's Overton window, like people who advocate for some sort of separatism or overthrow of the government, yeah, they could get in trouble. But if the government didn't do that, uh, how would it survive? Same thing with the United States. If someone right now is sitting around in their basement trying to ally themselves with some sort of, I don't know, ISIS uh, to overthrow some part of Pennsylvania. Guess what? They're in deep trouble. But and you, 99% you, you can, of your, and ninety nine percent of your listeners would support that and say that that is beyond their uh, constitutional rights. But just speech. so folks so, understand yeah. how it goes in Russia, you can go yeah. on radio, you can go on television and say Vladimir Putin's a jerk. I don't agree with his invasion of Ukraine. I don't agree with him doing this or that, and not have to worry about being thrown in jail. Well, well, here's something. Why don't you take a look at, uh, if you can, some political talk shows that actually go on major Russian TV, and they often show um, the way uh, issues from two sides. Sometimes not. Sometimes there is the sort of they get a lot of guests who all agree with each other. That does happen. But there are also oftentimes they try to find people who actually have the opposite opinion. Now, the question is, are those people the best at articulating that opposite opinion? That's maybe a little bit debatable, but you can definitely hear it. But especially, uh, I would uh, invite all of you to maybe sign up for VK.com. So that's Kontaktia. That's the Russian uh, version of Facebook. And uh, there is plenty of uh, anti uh, establishment media all over Kontaktia. So I'm looking at people, and these people are not winding up dead in ditches. I'll tell you that. I'm looking at, uh, we have several monitors right now, and one of them's on MSNBC, and it says, breaking news, Russian journalists receive threats for reporting on Ukraine invasion. Uh, Independent journalists fear for their safety for reporting on Ukraine invasion. Is that a realistic fear? Do you do Russian journalists need to fear for their livelihood uh, for telling f- uh, the truth about an invasion? Oh, well, let's see. Hold on. Let me um, open. Um, well, how about this? Um, although now they've uh, finally gotten in a lot of trouble. If you were to look at like one source, like the Echo of Moscow radio station, uh, for the entire time that I've been in Russia, they only have uh, anti-systemic um, positions. Also, there was a, was an, is a, uh, it's on YouTube. It's called TV Rain. Uh, and uh, they also are very uh, anti-systemic. And uh, yeah, but the problem is Rain uh, was getting a lot of uh, foreign funding without disclosing it. And now they're in trouble. I see. So, I see. Now, uh, what is your yeah. reaction, Tim, to the Russian incursion into Ukraine? What's your view of the situation? Well, when you uh, watch uh, your countrymen be bombed, killed, slaughtered, tortured by Nazis for eight years, and when the prospect of reaching some sort of deal to make it end seems impossible, and when you hear the leader, or the at least official leader of that uh, nation saying he's going to look for nuclear weapons, what else can you do? So it sounds like you agree with the decision to go into Ukraine. Uh, Unfortunately, I have to. Uh, I'm someone where I would definitely always prefer a non-military solution. Uh, but uh, in this particular uh, single instance, it looks like, uh, you know, you every one of us has a sort of Christian duty to turn the other cheek and uh, really try to exhaust all options before violence. But uh, I think this time I, I don't see really any other option left. Now, I obviously you're not a, a spokesman for Putin. I'm not asking you to defend his, nope. his decisions. But um, certainly not. His press secretary has some nice cars, man. <laughs> I can imagine. So um, I totally understand. And I've spoken with people in the Donbass region 
in these two breakaway republics that wanted to be independent and didn't want to be part of Ukraine. And they've described the the regular assaults that they were under from the Ukrainian military. I'm, I could understand why Vladimir Putin and the Russian government might need to protect those breakaway republics. But why did they need to go west? Why did they need to go into Kiev? Why couldn't they, if the goal was just to protect ethnic Russians in the Donbass region, why could they not simply just occupy that territory and leave the rest of Ukraine alone? Uh, because the rest of Ukraine is also very much divided. Uh, I'll put it this way. The Donbass republics were just the sort of regions that were able to successfully stand up uh, during the 2014 crisis. If you look back then, especially, you could probably still find video of it, even though Google tends to uh, try to make this disappear. That would be May the 2nd, 2014, uh, when a lot of pro-Russian activists sort of took over one of the governmental buildings in Odessa. Uh, the neo-Nazis there closed the doors and burned uh, the building from the inside, uh, killing all of them. So, you know, a lot of people uh, within especially Kharkov, or as it's written now, Kharkiv, or however they pronounce it, uh, and Odessa wanted to do the same thing. They were just all killed off. So uh, that's part of it, that the real actual uh, sort of ethnic line between the Russian speakers and the Ukrainian speakers is actually vastly bigger uh, than those two ethnic republics. And the fear is that, of course, if the they were to just simply boot out um, the, uh, the uh, private battalions, especially from the uh, Donbass region, that they would just start inflicting horrors on other reasons or that the situation would ultimately not change. Uh, I think what's actually happening here is is ultimately what would be desirable is a regime change and forcing whatever's left of Ukraine uh, to be a disarmed, uh, neutral sort of buffer region. Well, I, I think uh, if Ukraine would have taken that attitude from the get-go, maybe we could have avoided a, a lot of the uh, the death that we're seeing now. But I, I realize that um, this is not a scientific survey, and it's tough to draw any conclusions based on anecdotal evidence. But in terms of the rank-and-file Russians that you interact with, how do yeah. most rank-and-file Russians feel about what's happening now between Russia and Ukraine? Well, of people that I know, I would say that the reaction has been about damn time. Really? You know, that's kind of the way that they see things. Um, but, uh, yeah, there are definitely people who are part of the um, uh, uh, team shame where they uh, have fun feeling ashamed in front of the West uh, that uh, this is happening. So, yeah, there, there are some people like that. I would say a lot of people that I've worked with in the past tend to be more sort of uh, – uh, on that side of the political aisle. So I definitely know people uh, personally who are against it, but I would say the overwhelming majority are for it. Uh, mm-hmm. That's probably why Putin's popularity rating has surged above uh, 70% for the first time in a long time. Wow. Uh, now, what is inaccurate from what you're seeing about the picture that Western media is painting of the current conflict and of Russia in general? Number one, by far, that Russians see the people in Ukraine as Russian. Uh, The whole thing about uh, Belarus and Ukraine and Russia is that because even Putin said this in his uh, sort of speech on the eve of the conflict of why this is going to happen. He said that uh, during the, uh, you know, 1920s, the uh, Bolsheviks basically wanted to, uh, well, internationalism was a hot trendy concept at the time. And they wanted to basically turn the Russian empire into this group of like countries. So they created a lot of artificial borders. What they did is essentially like saying, 
well, if we want America to look like a group of countries, we'll make the South its own country, and we'll make Texas its own country, and the West Coast will be its own country, or something like by that logic. But that was incredibly stupid logic. And Russians today are very much uh, uh, in the strong belief that Belarus is just white Russia, as the name goes. And Ukraine, uh, which means like the borderlands, is just the borderlands of Russian civilization. And the people there are also Russians who just happen to have an accent. Um, we saw yesterday after a number of cable systems in the United States, direct TV in the United States and a number of telecommunication systems in Canada started pulling RT and other, uh, media outlets that were affiliated with, uh, the Russian government. We see that RT America is now permanently shutting down U.S. operations. It's laying off its staff. Any reaction to that, that now American viewers, on television anyway, won't have the option of seeing RT America? Now, I watched several of the shows on RT America. I watched William Shatner's show on there, Jesse Ventura's show, Steve Malsberg. I enjoyed the commentary of people like Lionel, people like Holland Cook. But now that's gone. Uh, what's your What's your reaction to that, if any, well, Tim? Remember, we were talking a little bit earlier about freedom of speech and about uh, journalists and how they're afraid right now. Well, dude... The 45th president of the United States was canceled on social media. We're in a new era, man. Uh, we're in a new era. And uh, RT is just a, actually, a, it's an important but s- smaller part of that. Like, uh, things are very serious right now, ideologically, between the East and the West, between the monopolar and the multipolar world, as we call them. And uh, this is no game. Uh, and, uh, you know, when uh, when I was a, a kid, when you were a kid as well, I mean, to, to think that something in America could be blanket banned just seemed um, utterly impossible. You know what I mean? But now it is possible and it seems to be acceptable because I guess Russia scary, even though Russia has pretty much exactly the same political system we have in America and uh, just wants to pursue a foreign policy in which it exists as some sort of relevant civilization on the planet. Now, there are going to so be some people. It's, 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 a, it's a small part of something much, much greater uh, that's changing about things. So I just uh, kind of missed that point about what you said about the journalists, where uh, this is actually, to be honest, ironically, we have the Internet, which is great, uh, and there's uh, still opportunities for free speech. But we're really getting clamped down. And uh, unfortunately, free speech right now is really under threat everywhere. There are going to be some people, Tim, that say um, the reason that you're giving voice to a Russian perspective is because you've essentially been bought off, whether as a football player or as a media personality, (laughs) that you're making all sorts of money thanks to your advocacy for Russia. Any truth to that? Well, I don't know uh, if someone could hack into the uh, um, uh, tax service uh, website of the Russian Federation. Uh, you'll see that the only real estate that I own are two very dinky houses. Uh, they are very dinky because I was able to buy them. Uh, the first one with just a with cash, uh, and the other one without. And uh, if someone was able to hack that, they would see that neither of them is uh, particularly close to an estate. And that's all I've got. So there you go. And now there are going to be other folks that say, look, um, you know, uh, you're not maybe you're not bribed, but you're brainwashed. You're suffering from some sort of modern Stockholm syndrome. What do you say to those folks that might think that the reason that you feel the way that you do is because you've been brainwashed by years of Russian propaganda? 
Well, brainwashed people are unable to understand the opinions of the other side. Uh, I believe that I should be able to express the views of various different uh, political forms of reasoning uh, that I don't particularly agree with, but I can see where they come from, you know. Um, I can see... uh, Sort of, uh, let's just take this, Ukrainian Nazis, let's let's take their side hypothetically, right? I can kind of see that they feel that during the Soviet Union, they were repressed, that uh, the sacrifices of their grandparents were turned into some evil, dark fairy tales uh, that were, you know, for Soviet propaganda. I understand that when they got their freedom in 1991, that they may have gone a little overboard and that they wanted to turn their country into something great. And they also had this idea that, you know, uh, Moscow, uh, you know, the, the capital of Russian or the original capital of Russian civilization uh, was in Kiev. And I can also sort of see how the Ukrainian neo-Nazis might have been excited that, oh, well, eventually, uh, you know, we'll be able to shift the capital back Tim, and it will be Ukraine that will control all of Eurasia. Tim, I can sort of understand that, but I, that doesn't mean I agree with it. Uh, Tim, and I, I'm sorry. Brainwashed I, cannot. I'm out of time yeah. and I hope we can continue oh. this conversation in the future. Sorry. Very quickly, <laughs> in 10 seconds, yeah. how do people watch or listen to your show if they want to listen to it? If you want to watch something non-political, it's RTTT, Russia Tips, Tricks, and Travel, where I show you around Russia. If you want something political, it's called Tim Kirby Russia, YouTube, Rumble, BitChute. Okay, uh, Rumble, YouTube, uh, Tim Kirby Russia, RTT. There's non-political stuff, there's political R-T-T-T. stuff. RTTT. RTTT. I've got an extra T there. All right, Tim Kirby, thanks so much. I hope we can talk again. Stay safe. Sure thing. All right. 800-848-WABC. If you want to comment, 800-848-9222. It's the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. W-A-B-C. I'm going to Kansas City. Kansas City, Yeah, Kansas City. Kansas City, here I come. Got a crazy way of I'm going to get me from. Where's on the corner? This is the other side of midnight. I heard in Kansas City and beyond. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, a lot to get to next hour, and uh, including the $1,000 Minute and uh, a lot of other things. Let me squeeze in at least one quick call here. Mike is in Virginia Beach. Hello, Mike. Hi. Uh, it sounds like you just uh, interviewed a <clears throat> modern-day Lee Harvey Oswald, which means uh, he may be putting on an act and uh, working for the CIA, uh, pretending to be uh, an expatriate who's uh, – upset with uh, everything American, or he may be what a lot of people think uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was, a a, a true uh, de- defectant um, who uh, uh, could be very dangerous for America in the future if he comes back and uh, moves to Dallas. All right. Thank you. Uh, appreciate that. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Grant, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They run in a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, TGIF. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, happy to be here. So I read this interesting article in the um, Wall Street Journal a, a day or two ago. And look, you know of my fondness for Ralph Nader. And I was really interested in this article. I, I'm interested in everything involving Ralph Nader. Nader uh, but I was interested in this article because of what it had to say about the American publishing industry and wh- where we're at today in society. And I just linked to it a little while ago, yesterday, on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Fan, so you can read it. And the headline is, Who Wants to Hear Ralph Nader Praising CEOs? Question mark. Not Publishers. Consumer Crusader's book on unsafe cars was a blockbuster, but a manuscript he wrote about CEOs he admires is gathering dust. So I I invited Ralph on, and I know Ralph, um, and I invited him on to talk about it with me. So hopefully next week we'll be able to chat about it. And I'm not – essentially the gist of the article is that Ralph Nader has this anti-corporate message, anti-CEO message, anti-big business message, and that's what publishers that have published his previous books want. They want him to do another book on how corporations and CEOs suck. And instead, he wrote a book about 12 CEOs, most of whom are dead, by the way, that he's met throughout the course of his life that he likes and that he thinks does a good job. Not only for them themselves, their workers, shareholders, but for consumers. I want to read this book. And unfortunately, the gist of the WSJ article, as you can read it, um, again, it's on my Facebook, facebook.com slash Fan, is that no publisher wants to publish this. And he and his longtime literary agent have parted company over this. But it's a really well-done article. It's written by Jeffrey Trachtenberg. And essentially it talks about how this is sort of against type for Ralph Nader. This is a little off-brand for Ralph Nader. When you think of Ralph Nader, you think of seatbelts. You think of airbags. You think of railing against uh, corporate uh, malfeasance, fraud and abuse. You don't necessarily think about him praising CEOs. And there's one set part of this article, I guess it's two sentences, that really caught my eye. And it writes, it, the, the part of this article that really stuck with me, and I found myself thinking about since I read this article, is this. Getting outside one's comfort zone is never easy. Think about that sentence. Getting outside one's comfort zone is never easy. Goes on to say, Michael Jordan's baseball career lasted one season. Black Panther's co-founder Bobby Seale took some by surprise when he published a barbecue cookbook. Crooner Pat Boone's heavy metal album made in his 60s, startled his fans. And Pat Boone, who's now 87, is quoted in this Wall Street Journal article as saying, 
It was so out of character that it was literally front-page news. I was dressed in leather pants, chains, and earrings. My image was well-known, and everybody thought they knew me. Now, Nader, who himself is 88, and, you know, he's independently wealthy and can sit home and just, you know, I don't know. I don't know what he does for fun. He works for fun. He's like me. Uh, although I have more interests in terms that are non-work related than Nader does. You won't see Ralph Nader relaxing with a martini and a cigar. You won't see that. But he disputes the notion that this book is out of step with his consumer activism. He says that he sees this as a natural extension of his life's work. He says he's been thinking about this book for decades. Um, and I believe him because Ralph Nader is almost incapable of being dishonest from what I've seen. But it got me thinking, I give Ralph Nader, Pat Boone, Michael Jordan, even Bobby Seale, some credit. Whenever anybody is well-known for something, and then they make a conscious decision to step out of their own comfort zone, and try to succeed in an area that they're not well-known in, I think that is one of the toughest things that anybody can do. And you know what? The more successful you are in one area, as Michael Jordan found out with basketball, once you try to make that transition, the critics out there work even harder to kill you. Once you step outside of your comfort zone, even if you're doing the same thing that you've been doing, if you do something that's a little bit different, just a little bit off brand, the chorus of critics jump on you. And that's why I've always really admired people that are willing to step outside of their comfort zone, knowing they're going to have to bear the slings and arrows. And I've tried to do that with myself, you know, um, in in many different aspects of life. So I made a a short list of people who are well-known, who have stepped out of their comfort zone to do something publicly and do something different from what they're best known for. And like I like, like to do when I'm making these lists, I thought you might be able to help with some of your own suggestions. I'll read you mine, but I'd much rather hear yours. Tell me, who has successful or unsuccessful, who has stepped out of their comfort zone and stepped out from what they're best known for in order to try something different? 800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. Sometimes it works out well. Sometimes it works out poorly. But I give anybody that tries it a lot of credit. And I'm curious if you uh, share my admiration for anybody that's willing to do this. Now, music is the area where it's most, it's easiest to see people doing something different from what we've seen. I mentioned the example of Pat Boone, but you see this with a lot of different musicians over the years. One of the first, literally the first one that I wrote down was Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra had an incredible musical career, as you know, and he had an incredible career as an actor. But do you remember the Waterloo album? 
So Frank Sinatra, Waterloo, was the only concept album that Sinatra ever did. And it was, I, I like it. I like the music, and I like the fact that the music tells a story. But even more so than that, I love that Sinatra did it. I love that he did something so different uh, after he was already established from what he had been doing and took a chance knowing that he was going to be criticized for this. So I'm curious if there's anybody that you think has done something different that you uh, that's an example of them stepping out of their comfort zone. One person, and I'll, and I'll share some other examples that I've, I've made here, but one person that I think has done this really well is Steve Martin. Now, Steve Martin is one of the most successful comedic actors and one of the most successful stand-up comedians of all time. And he is obsessed with the banjo. He loves playing the banjo and wants to be known as a banjo player. But even if you just look at acting when it comes to Steve Martin, as well-known as he is as a comedic actor for films like uh, The Three Amigos or The Jerk or The Man with Two Brains, Steve Martin is a terrific, serious actor. You ever see the movie The Spanish Prisoner? He's great in that, in a serious role. And there are other comedic actors uh, that have stepped out of their comfort zone to do a serious role and have done very well. Uh, Andrew Dice Clay has done some great work in in uh, serious roles. Blue Jasmine, he's great in. And uh, the uh, A Star is Born, great in that as well. And so I really do think that there's something to be said for folks that are willing to be able to step outside of their comfort zone. So tell me what you think. If you, there's any other examples that you can think of, 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Uh, one person I have to give credit for, for doing exactly this, Bill Clinton. Now, Bill Clinton never needs to work again. He's wealthy. He can make a lot of money giving speeches. He can write about politics. He can do anything. And yet he chose to write a novel with, I believe, James Patterson. I mean, what is a president, somebody that's a beloved icon in certain political circles, what does he need to write a novel for? And yet he did it. Hillary Clinton, uh, who I'm no fan of, she did the same thing. I give both of them credit. And on the other side of the political aisle, Bernard Carrick writing a novel. Here's a guy was a police commissioner, was um, the was a leading government official in the interim government in Iraq, was a, a federal prisoner, was a consultant, was a, uh, a veteran and was a warden of a jail, has done so much, wrote a book, wrote a memoir. And then to write a novel, I think is certainly something that's off brand for him. So tell me what you think. 800-848-WABC. I have some other folks here. I'll go through my list, but I'm curious. Maybe you'll say some of the same people that I'm thinking of. 800-848-9222. John is in Westchester. Hello, John. Hey, good morning, Frank. Um, how about Jerry Lewis from obviously a comedian to hosting of the 
muscular dystrophy, muscular dystrophy telethons. John, that is a great one. And you know what? I didn't even think of Jerry Lewis, but um, he's not only somebody that went out of his comfort zone for that, but as a as a filmmaker, he invented a lot of uh, filmmaking techniques that are still used in movies to this day. Uh, so Jerry Lewis is a is a great one um, entertainer to somebody that's best known. You're right as the um, muscular dystrophy guy. And look, and I have a few other people that fall into that same category that uh, Jerry Lewis does. 800-848-9222. Philip in Brooklyn, what do you have for us? Hey, Frank. Um, this guy is an excellent comedian, um, Eddie Murphy. Oh, and, you know, when he did his song, um, Party All the Time? Yes. That's a good example. That is a good example. And it's also a good example of because he was so successful as an actor and a comedian, there were so many people that were wanting to pounce on him. And you knew even if that song was the best song ever written, his critics were going to kill him uh, over that. And they, and they did. They did. You know, I'll mention one and then we'll go back to the calls. In terms of sports, there's many examples of this, right? But one is, and this did not work out well at all, one is Jose Canseco. Jose Canseco was, uh, in the 80s and 90s, one of the best home run hitters in baseball. Led the league in home runs twice. And wasn't just a great home run hitter. He was, especially in his younger days, a bit of a speed demon. He was 40-40, the first 40-40 baseball player to hit 40 home runs and steal 40 bases in the same year, same season. And he had a lifelong dream of pitching in a Major League Baseball game. Now, he was able to get a manager to let him pitch. Now, he got hurt, and that was not a wise decision, either on his part or the manager's part, and probably, you know, really damaged a season right in the prime of his playing career. But part of me has to give him credit for being willing to Step outside of his comfort zone. 800-848-WABC. Craig is in Connecticut. Hello, Craig. Hey, what's going on? You tell me, Craig. You know how you said yeoman's work, right? That term? Yes, yes. Hello? Yes, Craig, okay. I'm sorry. It goes to Old English. Ye meant the, okay? And omen so you're actually saying the omen. Don't you realize that? Well, thank you for that, Craig. Appreciate it. 800-848-WABC. Dave is calling from Manhattan. Hello, Dave. Hey, how are you? Well, uh, I'm as happy as a tick on the backside of a dog. <laughs> I listen to you every morning on the way to work. Anyway, I did. I thought Arnold Schwarzenegger would be a, a good candidate. Uh, Clint Eastwood. For Both going... Mayors. Actors. Yeah, well, uh, Schwarzenegger was a governor, not a mayor. But, yeah, so for going into politics after they were already successful movie stars. Well, he was also a weightlifter that went to a coffee. uh, He was like a coffee coffee entrepreneur. And then uh, 
He went to acting and then a, then actually a governor. Yeah, so, that's a great example. Like that, that is a great example, Dave. Uh, he didn't have to do any of those things. He could have stayed made, making a lot of money as a bodybuilder, and uh, he didn't have to go into acting, have people mock his English. The first movie that he did, Hercules in New York, with a pretty good scene for the automat, by the way, the, his English was so poor they had to redub his lines with another actor. He could have given up after that. He stuck with it. You're right. It's a good point. And then once he's one of the biggest movie stars in the world, he didn't need to go run for office and be mocked uh, on all these late-night uh, comedy shows. It's a great point. 800-848-WABC. I see a couple of people. The Marks have people that I've thought of and have on my list. Uh, let me begin with Mark in Westchester. Hello, Mark. Yes, sir. Bruce slash Caitlyn Jenner. Tremendous change of life from a manly man to all due respect. A transgender woman, I think he is, but that was a that was a step, a major step. That it was, and you know what? I had Caitlyn Jenner on my list as well. And thanks, Mark. Because here was somebody who was a reality show star and a world-class athlete, an Olympic athlete, and she chose to run for governor. And I gave her credit for doing that. Somebody else who stepped outside of his comfort zone uh, and stepped outside of an area that they were successful in was Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh, who's best known as a radio talk show host, as an author, as a TV talk show host, talking about politics. When he went to work for ESPN and do football commentary, which he was great at, I thought that took a lot of guts and a lot of gumption, and they killed him for it. They killed him for it, and he that did not go over well. Dennis Miller, one of the biggest comedians in the world, Saturday Night Live, and uh, all these big specials, TV, radio. Being an analyst on Monday Night Football and a color man on Monday Night Football, he didn't need to do that. But he did it because he loved football and wanted the challenge. I gave him credit for that. So uh, those are both examples of folks that I think stepped outside of their comfort zone to try something a little bit different. Walt is calling from here in New York City. Hello, Walt. Uh, Yes, hi, Frank. I have three. Let's hear them. The first one is John Travolta. John Travolta. um, Actor, dancer, and a commercial airline pilot. Okay, well, he's not a uh, – is, is he a commercial airline pilot? I, he doesn't fly commercial yeah. airliners. He flies yeah, private, he doesn't he? No, he's a commercial airline pilot. Well, you I mean, look it's, it up. it's not like he works for Delta or something. No, no, no. It's, you know, he, he's a, he has a license to do commercial airline pilot. All right. I knew he was a pilot, but I thought he did – I thought he flew mostly private. Well, he probably does both, but, you know. I guess you can look it up. And okay. then the second one is um, Arsenio Hall. Um, by by doing what? By acting? Yeah, well, he was a uh, – yeah, he actually acted at Coming to America. Uh, he was a talk show host. And he was a dancer, too, with uh, Paul Abdul, if not, I'm, not, I'm not mistaken. That I didn't know, Walt. That's a good one. That's a good one, Walt. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Bill is in the Lone Star State of Texas. Hello, Bill. Good morning, Frank. Uh, how about uh, Jackie Gleason? Uh, tell me what, what the departure was for him. Doing Entertainer, entertainer orchestra leader, had his own orchestra, and a serious actor in the 
The pool, the, uh, the hustler. The, the hustler. Star. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He, I mean, if you look at the role he played as Minnesota Fats in uh, in the Hustler, yeah. it's nothing like the R- Ralph Crampton role that so many of us knew him for for the Honeymooners. That's a good one, and it's one that I wouldn't have thought of. I'll tell you who else in that category of entertainment. There's three others that I'm going to mention quickly, and then we'll take your calls. Stephen Van Zant, who I really enjoyed um, interviewing recently. One of the biggest musical stars in the world had a rock and roll Hall of Fame career, then to re- be reborn as a political activist, and then to be reborn again as an actor. I mean, that's incredible, absolutely incredible. From where I, where I'm standing, another one, Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola. We've talked about this before. Huge risk for him to take a successful filmmaking career and go into wine and cigars and resorts, a big, big risk. And then the other one, sort of in line with the Jerry uh, Jerry Lewis uh, suggestion, Paul Newman. Paul Newman, one of the biggest movie stars in the world, to then go into salad dressings and have this whole condiment business. Now, I think for younger people, he might be better known for the condiments and the salad dressings than he is for being a movie star. 800-848-WABC. Pamela is in central New Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Hello. Uh, uh, An example is John Casamitidis. (laughs) Pamela, you know, I'm embarrassed that I didn't have this on my list. That is a great example. That is a great example. John uh, has done this actually repeatedly. And um, if you look at what John did, John was a billionaire. John doesn't have to worry about much. But John had so many different success in so many different businesses, um, groceries, real estate, energy, to then choose eight years ago to become a radio talk show host when he didn't need to do it for the money, obviously. He didn't need to do it for status. He didn't need to do it for power. To then do that and subject himself to the chorus of critics that all of us who step to the microphone every day do, I think took a lot of gumption and required a very different skill set from what we're, what, what we've known from him. And then to two years ago, actually become a media mogul. I think that's a great example. I'm sorry that John wasn't on my list. Good one, Pamela. Jim is in Long Beach. Hello, Jim. Hey, what's up? The genius Robin Williams. Robin Williams, from doing comedic roles to doing serious roles? Exactly. That's a good one. genius. Yeah, I'm with you. Goodwill Hunting, Dead Poet Society, certainly very different from his uh, role as uh, as Peter Pan or his role as uh, Mork from Mork. Orc. He started in Happy Days. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Absolutely. That is a good one. Absolutely a, a very, very good one. I'm going to give you one more of mine. And then, um, oh, you know what a perfect example is? And I'm surprised this wasn't the first one people mentioned. The perfect example is Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump, as a casino owner, as a best-selling author, as the star of the biggest show on primetime network television, he needed to go into politics like he needed a hole in the head. I mean, he could still be the toast of Fifth Avenue, going to all the great cocktail parties, and yet he chose to get into politics. And offer offer his service to the country. I, I, even if he lost, I would have given him a lot of credit for that. Brian in Jersey City, what do you have for us, Brian? Ronald, Ronald Reagan. 
That's another good one. Same thing. I mean, uh, Ronald Reagan uh, repeatedly did that. That's another good one. Norman, Storm and Norman in Brooklyn. Hello. Norman Norman's right. Hi. Well, I have two. One okay. is John Madden. Uh, by going from being a coach to being a, a commentator? And to being a game show, uh, a game creator. On, That's on a good one. Game. Yeah, okay. And the other one, I can't remember his name, but he played Hyman Roth in The Godfather. He was the head of the actor's studio, and then he took a chance and became an actor himself. Yeah, uh, that is a good one. The uh, The actor uh, was... Uh, Lee Strasberg. Lee Strasberg, right. That's right. That's a good one. Um, in the case of John Madden, I, I don't know how involved he was in the games. I think that might have been more like a George Foreman kind of a deal where his role was maybe licensing his image and his name and then being a spokesman for the game. I'm not sure how much he was involved in the actual development of the games. Um, Whereas a lot of the other people that we've mentioned, I think Paul Newman, Jerry Lewis, I get the sense that they were a little bit more involved in this other thing. Coppola, Merv Griffin with the hotels, uh, let me do one more here, and then we'll go move on to the $1,000 minute. Brian in Colorado. Brian, have you ever had your car stolen out there? Uh, I have not, no. Okay. Well, Thankfully. you're one of the very few out there based on the statistics. And, uh, well, I question uh, some of the uh, reasons uh, behind this uh, little game. Uh, two names um, from history. One would be Ulysses S. Grant went from being basically a failure at everything in the drunk to being one of the greatest generals in history and also the author of his autobiography, which he wrote on his deathbed in 10 days. And I'm sorry to say I've never read it, but it's widely regarded as one of the greatest works in all of American literature. Right, but, but in Grant's case, when you when you characterize him as stepping outside of his comfort zone, from being a failure to being a celebrated general and a best-selling uh, memoirist. I mean, he it's not as if he made the decision, oh, I'm a failure on Monday, I'm going to decide to become a celebrated general on Tuesday. That was more of a function of circumstances just working his way. Like in the case of Michael Jordan, he made a conscious decision to play baseball instead of basketball. Tim Tebow made a conscious decision to play baseball. Um, you know, Bill Clinton made a conscious decision to write a novel. I'm not sure the same thing holds true with Ulysses S. Grant, but who was your other one? The other one uh, would be uh, Joyce Kilmer, who was considered to be the best journalist in New York City at the time and went and fought and died in World War One in the trenches as a foot soldier. Well, that, that's a good one. It's one I wouldn't have thought of. Thank you, Brian. Hey, uh, we're going to do the $1,000 Minute next. If you want to be the seventh caller, if you're the seventh caller to 1-800-848-9222, that's 1-800-848-WABC, you can um, have an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you do that, you're going to 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. Be the seventh caller now. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Goodbye, ain't that a shame? 
This is the great Pat Boone singing Ain't That a Shame. Um, not his pet heavy metal days, but still pretty good. All right, well, the time has come to start the weekend, just about. And uh, we're going to hopefully start it by giving someone some money because it's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Ah, yes. Let's say hello to Brandon in Rockaway. Hello, Brandon. Hi. How are you? Thank you for uh, the opportunity. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Thanks for calling. Brandon, you ever go? There's a great Thai restaurant that's also, um, uh, you know, they have jet skis and things like that. It's called Thai Rock. You ever go there in Rockaway? No, I haven't. I'll have to keep an eye open. Yeah, no, it's a great place. I've been there. I haven't been there in a few years, but uh, I love it. Great Thai food, great uh, jet skis, all sorts of other things. Uh, I like Rockaway a lot. It's a, a great, great community. Now, do you ever get offended these days, Brandon, when you see all these signs or hear all these chants of people saying, let's go, Brandon, and they mean it to be something disrespectful to the president? <laughs> no, I don't get offended personally, no. I Good. Okay. Um, all right. Good. Yeah. <laughs> but you're okay. Okay. Um, have you heard this uh, contest before, Brandon? Uh, yes, sir. Okay. So you're up on the rules. You know what to do. Yes. Okay. So you answer a question right. I'm just moving on to the next question. This way we could try and hit all 10 of these, okay? Uh, sounds good. Okay. How many are in a dozen? 12. Which gender's history does the month of March celebrate? Uh, mothers. We'll give uh, you that. Women. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what Long Island Republican congressman was nominated as the Republican candidate for governor this year? Oh, boy. Um, um, uh, um, Andrew Giuliani? No, it was um, uh, Lee Zeldin. Lee Zeldin. Uh, okay. So... Did, uh, I guess you, you didn't hear any of the coverage, I guess, of uh, of the Republican convention this week. No, I uh, work overnights, and usually when that's going on, I'm getting a little rest before going in. So. I hear you. Okay, all right. Well, yeah. so you didn't you didn't know Lee Zeldin, which is not good news for him. Um, but uh, hang on a second. We're going to give you a consolation prize. Um, we, I know um, Molly was cheering you on. She was saying, "Let's go, Brandon," as well. Unless that was some sort of political connotation between what she was saying. But um, give Molly your information. And I'll tell you what. I know um, Lee Zeldin thinks he's a, such a favorite to win this nomination. I think the fact that that Brandon couldn't name Lee Zeldin but could name Andrew Giuliani is indicative of sort of where we are in this Republican primary this year. And it's one of the reasons that I think Giuliani 
is going to do much better than uh, people expect. So, Molly, grab Brandon's information, if you would, and uh, we'll send him something nice. And uh, you didn't get an opportunity to play today, then hopefully you can do so next time. If uh, you want to call in on anything we've discussed thus far, you can give me a call at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. You can also email me at frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Today is uh, Friday, so that means a couple of interesting things. One, it means that uh, today was pizza day here at the radio station. Now, since I am um, staying away from booze for Lent, I try and use that as an opportunity to slim, slim down as well, so I stay away from the pizza but we ordered two pizza pies today. Uh, the place didn't give us a break, so I'm not going to mention them. We ordered one vodka pie and one spicy pepperoni pie. Matt Blaze, uh, which or which of the pie or pies did you sample? I had the white vodka pie. Well, it's not a white vodka. It's not? I don't know. Maybe it was. Because was. there was no sauce. It was just vodka. I didn't even know it was vodka. I just thought it was a white pie. Did you? And then I, saw, I did see that there is the vodka sauce coloring. So I figured it must be not a normal white pie, but I just thought it was a white pie, and it tasted great. All right. Well, um, you did not try the spicy pepperoni. I, I did not. Do you have an aversion to pepperoni? No, um, I'm not crazy about pepperoni. You're not crazy about it. Um, for me, it was more, it was a uh, Sicilian, and I like the thinner crust. I see. All right. So I, all right. Well, different stroke for different. And you still have not yet tried my uh, Aunt Camille's egg salad. No, I have to do that on the way out. I'm telling you. I will you. definitely take it. I'm telling you. You should try it. Now, um... So, uh, yeah, we have the egg salad here today, and uh, I'm hoping other people will try it and see how great this stuff is that she's, you know, that she makes on a regular basis. So that means today, today's Friday, we have our weekly post-show meeting. Now, what's interesting is because the seven, the WABC Early News has a live video stream, uh, which has been official this week, and you could see it at WABCradio.tv, and they've been doing some great stuff at WABC Radio. Uh, dot TV, you you have this week our boss Chad Lopez coming in at four a.m. each week each day this week. I thought this was going to be a one or two time thing. He's been in every day. He was just in again, and it, again GQ'd out, dressed to the nines. So um, I am hoping now. Usually we have to wait until seven a.m. for that meeting to start. I am hoping. That the fact that Chad is here this early means that we can have this meeting right away. I mean, wouldn't that be nice? And then we could all kind of start the week weekend. Now, Matt, I've noticed you training um, yes. the distinguished board op, Lou Rufino. I am. So does that mean you're now done at five or you are yes. still in the midst of training him? Well, I, I am still training him today. Uh, I'll be sitting here. He's been on the board. Right. So he will be on the board today. I will watch over him. He's doing a phenomenal job. I mean, the guy's a guru. Yeah, well, no, that's what I'm saying is, <laughs> I mean, if you're training Lou, I mean, isn't that sort of like, well, it's more well, isn't that like Ron Karkovice teaching Ted Williams well, how to I hit? I don't know if we go that far, but it's okay. it's the process. It's not right. that he doesn't okay. how to run a board. Right. He doesn't know the process and the formula of the show. So once I know that he's comfortable with that, then... I think by Monday he'll be on his own. Okay. But so for today, the, for today, er, the earliest we can have this meeting is 6 a.m. 
unless he feels comfortable and I'll ask him. And if he says I'm good, then we can have it when I'm done. And yeah. of course, if if uh, everybody's here, I don't know if Matt Meany's going to be here. Right. See, that's the he was supposed to be. I thought he was coming in. He might be here now. I mean, I don't right. Know. He might be. That's the thing. Because I thought he was coming. Yeah, As did I. We'll All see. right. So that's, uh, that is that. 800-848-WABC. I'll take your calls in uh, just a moment. So that's my day today. And then, so, um, so then I have to return my old computer, which I've had for eight years, which has served me loyally for eight years. Um, and I'm returning it to my former employer. They let me keep this after I started here two years ago as long as I continued to work on John Katzmatidi's Sunday show because that he does stuff for that station as well. So they said, as long as you keep working with John and do stuff for him, you can hold on to your computer. And this is a computer where – I might do a demonstration on Facebook Live later. I can type on this computer blindfolded. It's really something. It's served me so well these last eight years. So I'm going to exchange this, and they're going to give me a new one. So that's my agenda. And then um, I think that's pretty much it uh, today. Supposed to meet uh, some friends of mine, and I think I've arranged for us to meet over a cigar later, which should be fun. I mean, it's going to be a productive meeting, productive and very non-social. But if we can squeeze in a cigar, if it's nice weather around, well, why not? So be it. 800-848-9222. Fred is in New Jersey. Hello, Fred. Hello, Frank. A suggestion on the game? Uh, yes. Have your nephew sing more Sinatra songs during it. Oh, I know. Well, you've got some memory. Well, Listen, also, you uh, called no, Curtis no, this weekend to bash me, for, uh, and, and you claim that you don't listen to me anymore, and yet here you are, listening and calling still. I had a rough night. I had to wake up. I anyway, bet you did. On the game, if you make it multiple choice, it'll be more exciting, and sometimes a little dumb luck goes a long way. Well, that's not a bad idea, Fred. No, it's a good idea. You try it. I well, think it's not. I don't want to go so far as to say it's a good idea, but it's not a bad idea. And uh, I will bring that up with the the powers that be. I'll. Uh, you know what? I never expected. Um, look, so I figure if you listen to this radio station, you got to hear the news at least once an hour, and we we have a lot of the candidates for governor on this station and on this show. Rob Astorino is going to be here Monday. Andrew Giuliani was on the other day. I figure the guy, it's all over the news that Lee Zeldin gets the nomination. I thought that was sort of an easy question. I didn't expect it to be challenging for Brandon, especially with Brandon being a New Yorker. So I thought that was almost kind of a giveaway. But I was wrong. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Vincent is in Brooklyn. Hello, Vincent. Hello, Frank. Today is Friday during Lent. And ah! People, that's right. Person, that's right. So abstain from many meat, and the Lord forgives the... Uh, good luck to you and Carmine. Thank you, Vincent. It's great to hear from you. I wish you'd call more, my friend. I miss you. I'll see you soon. All right. All right. I don't want to say who that is, but that's that's kind of a legend. Okay. Uh, very rare that that person calls into the radio. I saw his last name on the phone. That's one of those guys, when you see him calling, you go to his call first, right? Because he very rarely calls. But that's right. I didn't realize I got a pepperoni pizza, not even realizing that anybody that's Catholic and observing Lent probably wouldn't get to eat that. No wonder that was the less popular selection. In the kitchen. 800 848 Mike is in New Jersey. Hello, Mike. 
Good morning, Frank. Frank, I'd like to add Curtis's name to the list of people that transitioned from going from the Guardian Angels and becoming a radio, a successful radio talk show host and a politician. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Uh, to me, that that kind of transit, you know, so he went from being a newsmaker to somebody that then commented on the news, which is a different skill set. But look, uh, Curtis didn't really have a way to make money before he started on the radio. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I would give Curtis the same amount of credit that you clearly are, Mike. I'll tell you who I would give some credit to. It's uh, a fellow that I was very pleasantly surprised to see wandering the hallways a couple of days ago, and that's uh, legendary radio personality and uh, radio engineer extraordinaire Lou Ruffino, uh, who apparently now works here. Hello, Lou. Uh, why does everybody keep saying legendary? I'm still little baffled by that. Well, come on. You were part of uh, the Imus in the Morning Show, which one of the most successful morning shows in history. You were an integral part of that. You were kind of the one on that show that even if you don't like Imus, even if you don't like Bernard, even if you don't like Sid, you're the one person on the show that everyone always liked. There was no one that said, oh, I don't like Lou Rufino. And still baffles me. Yes. That's nice. It's great to hear. Everybody is so great here. You know, everybody, as soon as I walked in a couple of weeks ago, before I saw you, mm-hmm. everybody I've run into is is cool. There was it's alive here. It is. It's really alive. So what? It, since um, I, I, you and I became acquainted about uh, fifteen years ago, when uh, I can remember, you were the first person you kind of recognized. That's right. Me. That's right. You looked around I, and like I know who you are. I, I, I was producing the Curtis and Kuby Morning Show at the time. Right. I said, "All right, well, clearly they're going to replace us with Imus. Let me pack up my stuff and start looking for another job." <laughs> you know, I went back to the office <laughs> after I was scouting it out, and Imus. I was back in his office, and I said, "I think I was marked." <laughs> no, <laughs> no question. He goes, "Oh no," because he didn't want it. It was not supposed to be known. Oh, well, I. But uh, and we, I got. I. You know, we we got your number. So uh, since um, since you look good, the, by the way, you, you too, you thank, too. Thank since you. since the Imus show ended. You've been working at another radio station that's here in New York, correct? Yes, and uh, now you're here. Yes, so that's uh, it. And what's your what's your shift? Are you doing the mornings? I know you're it's starting a, at it's five. Lo- it's long right now. What Matt has me doing? What uh, Meanie has me doing? Yeah, he's a slave he wants, driver. Yeah, he wants me to work. You know, to, from like five till one. And it sounds well. That's a long day, but it, it's a lot because there's a lot of different things going on. And then when you're burning Sid, so show are you, you're running the board for the early news. Yes. You run the board for Bernie and Sid. Yes. And then uh, the syndicated version of, you know, Kill Mead and Charlie Kirk. Right, right, and, right. And, I right. mean, that's a lot of – that's like basically four different formats that you have to learn. Yeah, and it's it's a circus. It's basically a circus. It's great. It's fun, but it's been – it's crazy. Like you got to shift up, down, up, down, up, you know – and the morning thing is insane. It is insane. It's insane. Yeah. It, but it's it fun. Insane. I love being back with those guys. Now, for folks that are curious about your sort of radio origin story, was it just through happenstance that you started working with Imus? How did that come to be? It was because when WFAN started, I that was probably my second or third gig. OR was first, basically. Really? Of, yeah, I was out of college. And then... I was at FAN before it was FAN in Astoria when it was that it was a basement, and that became uh, FAN uh, WHN. If you, uh, is that what it, yeah the country station, mm-hmm. and that became FAN. And I was there for a year, and they were teetering, and then they bought the sixty six frequency, and Imus came over, and, and there's basically you just happen to work on. And Imus I was show? there already, and they just said he seems to be the best one. You're, that's it. He didn't bring any 
board op engineers wow. over. So uh, he had an eye for talent. He knew what he was doing. Well, that's when we met. So, I, I, you know, he looked at me and said, you look like you're 15. Do you know what you're doing? And I said, <laughs> we'll find out, I guess. Now, obviously, there's a lot of different eras of Imus's career. Were you with him at the height of his issues with substance abuse? I was post. You were that. post? Yeah, I okay. was. And I, I, from what I remember, he had just been coming out of that post. So Now, now how did Imus come to start talking to you on the air? Well, I think... From what he seems to say, what he used to say, I, I the origins I forget, but we just started turning mics on to respond and talk, and Bernard was talking a, a lot and responding. But then his brother came in uh, a few times to, and sat in the control room with us, then told uh, his brother, you know, you should put those guys on mm-hmm. more. They're really funny. Really? So it was Fred the, that was sort yeah, of the Fred seems, impetus for, yeah, for the... Yeah, he did... Say, he did uh, you know, imply that, you know, look, they're they're really funny. You should have them on more with you and Charles. And it uh, it's came from there and it started and we just it worked. I guess it worked. You know, we didn't. Uh, it was it was fun. It was kind of like a small party and serious and then fun. So it was good. Yeah. And uh, the hours, they can be a grind, though. I, I mean, you did mornings for how many years? Um, and still doing them. So I'm on like 34, 35 years. Wow. So, yeah. You seem to have weathered it better than most. You look pretty much the same as when I knew you 15 years you ago. You can never see the insides, though. You don't know. <laughs> yes, you, you know. I, I like that, that I still like look and say like, yeah, I, I don't look too bad, but... You feel the pains and aches all over the place that you never even knew that was that was not the case twenty years ago. Well, that is. How that, do you feel doing these hours now? Now you're doing. This. I like nights. Honestly, I like nights. Uh, there's a different energy about nights than there was with mornings. That's, it that's seems for like sure. You can come in, kind of. Eh, I'll do what I can. I yeah. want to do. See, I don't know why our bosses are coming in here at four a.m. Now that's the one thing. I saw everybody <laughs> come in as soon as the Bernie and Sid show started. I, I saw Chad was walking through. That's what me, I'm me, he was coming and bringing papers. Hey, bro, what's going on? What the heck are you doing here? Are you yeah. kidding? It makes me nervous enough that John and Margo are always listening overnight. Oh. To have Chad walking around here at four, all of a sudden, I'm going to have to start wearing a clean shirt. It is shifting gears again, I tell you. Right. Well, it's exciting to have you here. Honestly, you, you've made us a, a better radio station. And I got a, a text message from our friend um, uh, Jill, formerly of the Bernie and Sid uh, Show. Hi, Jill. Who texted me uh, when she heard you were back. She said, probably a good move on their part, meaning the radio station. I don't know who their board op was, but Lou is very good, as you know. And uh, she's exactly right. She wow. did misspell board in that text message, which is pretty on brand for her. You're such a good friend. But, 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 Some things have not changed. Honestly, in all sincerity, honestly, I'm obviously happy to see you here, but... Uh, you've made us a better radio station by the fact that you're working here. So welcome. That, thank you very and, much. Uh, I appreciate I'm that. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot it's, more. It's great to see everybody that I used to see a lot. And it's great to see you again, and I'm glad you're doing well. Are we uh, going to try and uh, bring back a WABC softball team of well, some sort? Well, I, I, sure. I'm, I'm going to uh, metamorphose into that at some point. All right. Probably wonderful. Probably way wonderful. down. A couple of years, I'll talk to you then. Okay. <laughs> okay. Hi, Frank. All Hi, right. Frank. The, you can uh, hear Lou's handiwork starting at 5 a.m., on the WABC Early News uh, with Deb Valentine. That should be a lot of fun. Thank you, Lou. 800-848-9222. Morgan is in East Rutherford. Hello, Morgan. Hey, how you doing? Well, I mean, uh, I guess that, that's up for some debate, but uh, I would say that I'm doing pretty well. That's cool. 
Anything else you uh, want to add there, Morgan? Um, is Frankie Russo? Is he what? Is he still on the air? Uh, n- not to my knowledge. Now, Morgan, let me ask you this. Uh, when you were on hold, did did Molly tell you to turn your radio off? Uh, no. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, I'll I tell you, I'm listening to the show back. It sounds pretty good. 800-848-WABC. Steve is in the Catskills. Hello, Steve. Hey, Frank called yesterday uh, inquiring about that fella who uh, lost the uh, $1,000 uh, contest. Yeah. Um, w- 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 you had, did you have a doctor recommendation for him? No, no, I wish I did. I wish I could help. I just uh, can't get him out of my head. Yeah, um, you know, I've been in touch with him, and uh, he, um, you know, he emailed me, and then a bunch of people have emailed me suggestions for him that I've been passing on. So if uh, if people don't know what Steve is talking about, listen to the podcast of yesterday's show, and we will um, pass your suggestions on to uh, to Joe. Very nice guy, and he and his wife Desiree are having a tough time, and he seems uh, very very concerned about her her health. Uh, John is in Glendale. Hello, John. Yes, hello, Frank. Hello. Uh, back to taking uh, uh, people who have had uh, career changes. Well, and right? I'm not even saying career changes. I'm saying, you know, stepping outside of your comfort zone. All right. How about uh, John Glenn? He went to space. Right. And then be, w- went into politics. That's a good one. Got into po- and he went back to space again. That, that, is a, that is a great example, actually, John. Thank you. Uh, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll do 15 seconds of fame next. We'll give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds on any subject. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, uh, we are keeping an eye on the situation in Ukraine. And the latest news out of Ukraine is that the head of the U.N. atomic watchdog says that there has been no, repeat, no release of radioactive material at the Ukrainian plant after this Russian attack. So that is certainly good news, and that is relatively, that's breaking within the last few minutes. So uh, we are keeping an eye on that. And you can bet if there are any updates on the Ukraine situation next hour, Deb Valentine is going to bring them to you, and certainly Bernie and Sid will from 6 to 10 as well. This is the other side of midnight, 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. WABC. Here comes the weekend, but before we get there, we need to get you an opportunity to be heard. And we do it for 15 seconds each and every morning right at this time as part of... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Neil on Staten Island. That's Frank. After listening to you for 10 years, I'm requesting your show only on UFOs. I got to get some sleep, Frank. <laughs> Bob in Bayhead. Uh, yes, George Foreman, uh, boxer and then grill entrepreneur. Fred in Yonkers. I just finished rewatching The Sopranos. Steve Van Sant 
I don't know if you could call that acting. Where have you gone, Los Desperizantos? Roger in Massachusetts. Yeah, take that bib to like a Taylor dry, a dry clean seamstress. Have them put an appropriate size button on one side and buttonhole on the other side to be all set. Uh, that's actually not a bad idea. Thank you. David Queens. I'm going to tell you, uh, we're making the same mistakes that we did in uh, World War with uh, Napoleon and Hitler. They're drawing us in, and the Russians are going to beat our behinds. Peter uh, 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 Craig in Connecticut. Hey, my Barbara Walters used to go, what kind of tree would you be? My question is, what kind of dog would you be if you were a dog? I would be a German Shepherd. Morgan in Rutherford. Hey, how you doing? Oh, five seconds left. Okay. Uh, Mark. Oh, no, that's not Mark. Uh, Joe in the Bronx. Uh, Pappy Cannon has a very good article. It's at unz.com. That's unz.com. The Ukraine crisis could easily lead to nuclear war. We need to stay out of it. Anthony in Astoria. Bring back the Big Bang Theory. Bring back Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man. And bring back Donald Trump as president. Mark Westchester. I just want to say how much I love my daughters, Kate and Fallon. And they both love listening to your show with me. Well, I love both of them. Pete Staten Island. Yeah, uh, give my number out to that uh, gentleman that was on the show yesterday. I might have a connection with a doctor to help him. It might be Bell's palsy because I have friends of mine that went through that after they got the shot. And finally, Chris Mount Vernon. Shout out to Ralphie Lopez, Mike, Yaya, Pop. I love you, Maribel. Love you, Christopher. Love you, Alessia. Thank you, Chris. All right. That about slams the lid on things for today. I'll be back Sunday morning at 8 a.m. as part of the Cats Roundtable and then back on this program Monday morning uh, at 1 a.m. 